everybody. Welcome to the Mustache Cast, Ted Lasso, number one podcast in the world. My name is Joe. Joining me is Hasten. Uh, fucking love that. Uh, let's invade France. How are you doing? <laughs> we're, we're, we're off to a great start. Yeah, yeah. We are. <laughs> I'm doing, it's Friday. I've had a big long week at work. I'm doing absolutely, the internet's upset about something as always, so I'm doing absolutely fantastic. The, inter- the internet is upset? I've never heard of that before. That's a, new, that's a new one. The gamers are mad. Also joining us is, uh, you had me at coach, David Doubt. David, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, Joe. How about you? Man, this was a really good episode of Ted Lasso. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's so good. It's so I good. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, you haven't? Okay. Never mind. We won't we won't do spoilers, but no that, spoilers. That this last is, 10 uh, minutes is real good. Mwah. Chef kiss. Can't wait. Cannot so, wait. So good. Well, since uh Hasten hasn't seen Ted Lasso, I guess we got to talk about other things then. <laughs> Fine. Uh So yeah, um you guys are our uh our uh guests today uh for this episode. So thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Um, awesome. Yeah, thanks for yeah. inviting me. Yeah, so this was actually a, a real a funny one because David and I started texting <laughs> and you were talking to him and everyone just got so fired up that you're like, I want to be on a podcast. So <laughs> here here we are. The deed has been done. No, literally, we were we were on our way to see a movie. Uh, the second escape room of all things. We were uh, trying to catch it before it left theaters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, we were just discussing all of these, you know, all of these changes and, you know, the new plans and everything else. And, you know, we get very passionate about theme park things <laughs> in this house. So, yeah, in this house, we respect God, the country and fast free fast pass. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just have that as like an etching somewhere, like like a, a crochet as you walk in. Right. <laughs> yeah, not bad idea. All right. So, yeah, I guess we might as well not bat around the bush anymore. Let's uh, talk about Genie Plus and Lightning Lane. Um, These are two new offerings coming to Disneyland and Walt Disney World. They're a hybrid of multiple systems that have been at the various Disney parks throughout the years. Um, Genie and Genie Plus are basically like touring plans like services that create itineraries for you. Uh, Genie is free. Genie Plus costs money. Genie Plus also then provides you access to access uh, the Lightning Lane on various times, similar to a uh, how FastPass used to be, especially with uh, MaxPass. And then there's also Lightning Lane. Do you have they named Lightning Lane Plus, or is it just Lightning it, Lane? It's like Lightning Lane individual attraction selections. That's right. Oh, Jesus. It uh, rolls right off the tongue. Yeah, exactly. So there's also Lightning Lane additional attraction selections, which at Walt Disney World right now seems to be roughly two attractions per park. The two most popular ones, of course, or roughly the two most popular ones. Um, Kind of similar to the uh, Fast Pass Tier 1 system in a weird way. Um, And basically, uh, those attractions, if you, excuse me, want to access the Lightning Lane, knee Fast Pass, uh, you have to pay extra. So in addition to that $15 a day per person, you'll have to pay anywhere from what Lentessa was saying, like 15 to 20 bucks. I'm not 15, uh, five to 20 bucks, uh, per attraction, depending on what attraction is and also availability. So, 
I guess uh, I'll toss it over to y'all first. And um, what are your, uh, I guess, what was your thoughts on the lead up to this? Because there were so many like breadcrumbs coming from Len, coming from people in the industry like, hey, it's coming. <laughs> Buckle up. Paid Fast Pass is coming. Um, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, <laughs> Sorry, this is an audio podcast, but you're both tossing to each other at the same time on video. It's very nice. Um, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go first then. Um, you know, I wasn't totally sure what to expect. I have long been uh, vehemently anti-fast pass. Uh, so, you know, mm-hmm. I, I figured just fast pass going away entirely would have been too good to be true. So I, I figured something would be coming back and there would almost certainly be a paid aspect to it. I, there was part of me that uh, for a long while thought they were just going to go all in on uh, a completely paid system like Express Pass at Universal or Fast Lane at the Cedar Fair Parks or, you know, any of the similar systems at the other parks. Uh, but ultimately, that's not what they did. And kind of to your point that you were just mentioning, Joe, this is at once a streamlining of multiple systems that were in place at both Disneyland and Walt Disney World, but also a complication of... Uh, those same systems, it, it's this really interesting dynamic because you kind of have this hodgepodge of stuff that they spent, you know, way too much money on trying to implement in Walt Disney World with FastPass Plus and My Magic Plus and all of that. And then you had the more streamlined solution with MaxPass that came about, what, like five years later at Disneyland? Mm-hmm. And so now they're kind of trying to streamline those two together. But at the same time, you've got the system that has multiple different tiers and multiple different names. And some of the tiers overlap and some of them don't. And it feels needlessly complicated in its own way. Mm-hmm. Hey, Sin? Yeah, I, I think for me, you know, when I first saw the announcement, I mean, leading up to it, I mean, I think I, I was fully expecting Paris's system. Like yeah. name, mm-hmm. naming and everything else. Like I was absolutely convinced that Disney really liked the Disney Premier Access name because it matched what they were doing in their direct to direct to consumer that JPEG loves to talk about mm-hmm. um, on Disney Plus. And I'm like, oh, anyone who has a Disney Plus subscription will come to the park, see Disney Premier Access, and go, oh, that's the thing that lets me see it or do it right away. And I'm yeah. like, from a branding perspective. That makes a ton of sense. Everything is so, virtual line. Right. So when 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 they decided, oh, this is going to be like a planning system with an add-on and a whole new service called Lightning Lane, which to me sounds like a FastPass ripoff name. Right. Like that, like a regional park would have. Totally. I mean, they have Fast, like, so Cedar Points is Fast Lane and then Six Flags is this Flash Lane. So it's yeah. so like when I was explaining it to my boss, I was actually saying fast lane for about good ten minutes, and he'd be like, "Ah, gotcha." So yeah, it's totally a ripoff <laughs> name. And it's like, I mean, I was not from a technology integration perspective. I was not expecting Max a Max Pass style service to come to Florida because 
I mean, famously, it was brought up that they hacked together the FastPass Plus system at the last minute to make the reservation system. And that's obvious because when you go through the workflow, you're like, this is literally the FastPass Plus workflow. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I was really surprised to see, oh, they're bringing this MaxPass-style system to Florida. I think seeing it on different coasts, initially, I'm like, oh, in Florida, all the tourists will buy this. And in California, I said no one will buy this, or mm-hmm. a very limited amount of people are going to end up buying this. I, I I have a feeling. In Florida, I think in Florida you're going to see all the you know all the tourists who are okay. who are staying there and they're on property and everything else. They're going to be bought in from day one. Yeah, I think okay. we've kind of already been uh, indoctrinated with the aggressive My Magic Plus planning culture. I think that this will. Uh, appeal much more to that demographic than the kind of spur of the moment visitors that tend to be the larger base in California. Okay. What was the, uh, Ma- so I, I've only been to Disneyland once with Max Pass um, and I love Max Pass. So like for me, Genie Plus at Disney World being 15 bucks is like, sure. Yeah, this is, this is Max Pass. I love it. Um, what was the buy-in uh, for Max Pass at Disneyland, was did everyone get it? Was it a very rare thing? Was it mostly the tourists who came in, or what? Like what? Do you guys know off the top of your head? I mean, personally, I think what you saw was you saw a lot of pass holders who knew what Max Pass was, mm-hmm. or maybe got it included with their pass or an add-on, and so they would like you would see touring groups buy it because oh, we invited you know. We invited Uncle Joe, and he's got Max Pass on his account, so he's just going to set it up and buy it for all of us. Right, because it was uh-huh. uh, it was included with Signature Plus, which was previously the highest tier Disneyland yes. pass, and then yes. you could add it on to any of the lower tier passes for what, like one hundred fifty dollars, one hundred and twenty five bucks, something yeah. like that. Like it was just at the threshold where. If you added it on to Signature, you were basically like $50 away from the Signature Plus price point anyway. I, I personally think out here in California, a lot of people bought Max Pass but never actually used it. Because when you would buy oh, a ticket at the okay. ticket booths, when you would buy a ticket at the ticket booths, they would say, do you want to add on Max Pass? And, uh-huh. you know, it's like it lets you like skip lines and stuff and, you know, you do it on your phone or whatever else. And I think for a lot of people, they just thought, oh, Fast pass costs money now and it's only ten or fifteen dollars, I'm in. And then they just use the regular the regular ticket one? Right. The regular (laughs) ticket. Oh, that's evil. That seemed like it was a common thing. Okay. Interesting. I did not think about that. So you think that so definitely the Disney World version will be So that's what's interesting is the Disney World one you think would be bought more, but it's at a cheaper price. Yet the Disneyland one you think will be bought less, but it's at a more expensive price. I just think that you look at how they're trying to sell this and they're trying to sell it as an upgrade to a planning mm-hmm. service. And like, I, I think Brian Miles said this uh, on Twitter a few, a few days ago, but it was like, he's like people who go to Disneyland, like don't care about how many rides they're going to ride as long as they can do things. Okay, and a hundred percent that like feels like the case. Mm-hmm. And now that they've created this sort of barrier of like, well, even key holders have to buy it in the beginning. Um, it's just people are just going to be like, oh, well, and, and, you know, you see this on stuff like Rise of the Resistance all the time. People walk up to it and they go, how do I ride this? And they go, oh, well, you need to download the app and create a virtual, you know, join the yes, virtual queue. Yes. And it, it opens at news at noon and people are like, oh, OK. 
and they like just walk away because they don't care because they're just moving between maybe they rode Millennium Falcon and now they're going to go ride Splash Mountain or the railroad. Mm-hmm. Like it's not because it's such an additive experience at Disneyland. I think any individual attraction, you just don't see this same sort of like obsessive culture around writing everything because people just sort of move around the parks. It's a very natural, you know, okay. consumption model. Okay, I gotcha. I gotcha. That ma- that makes sense. Um, I, I guess, so, I think there's a lot of outrage about it becoming, FastPass becoming paid in general. Um, and, I, I, and I think also, and another way I want to kind of lead the topic, because David and I talked about this a little bit, is I saw a lot of people then going like, well, you know, Universal starts at $70, and this is only 15 and, you know, blah, right. blah, blah, a bunch of arguments like that. And I think I understand where the arguments start from, but I don't necessarily agree that where they're going with it because um, I think they're two different products. And oh, David, totally. Yeah, David, do you want to talk about that a little bit? And then we can kind of move with that discussion maybe about pricing and, and moving to the paid system. Yeah, uh, to your point, Joe, I think there is either a fundamental misunderstanding or an intentional misunderstanding uh, of what these other parks are offering with their uh, skip the line passes, whatever they are called at the, you know, individual parks or mm-hmm. chains uh, that there's, there's this idea that, Oh, it's just the same thing as fast pass, but it costs money, but it, they're fundamentally different types of services where fast pass is, you know, you're booking a return time to, come to the attraction and get a potentially reduced weight. Like you're, it's, uh, you know, it's not a guarantee in the same way it is at some of the other parks. Like Haston is a, uh, has a membership at uh, Six Flags and goes uh, much more often to Six Flags than I do. And, you know, with their flash pass system, there is uh, multiple, multiple price points to it that give you a specific guarantee of, you know, you're going to wait this percentage of the posted wait time, which is something that Disney has never offered. Uh, right. So like, you know, you pay, uh, $60 or whatever it is at six flags, but you're only, you're getting a guaranteed, uh, 40% of the wait. I'm, those are probably Mm -hmm. not the actual numbers. I'm just pulling those out of my ass. Close enough. Close enough. Uh, where Disneyland, there's no such guarantee. It's just this idea that, okay, you book a return time, you come back at this time, and it'll probably be a lower weight. And that's not, that doesn't, that's true most of the time, but it's not true all of the time. I think, you know, any of us who go to the parks somewhat regularly have been in situations where the fast pass line has not been particularly fast at all. Uh, faster, like I, faster pass. Right. Like I can think of, uh, a particular situation at uh, Radiator Springs Racers in California Adventure where I think they had uh, been down for a couple of hours during the day and had just come back up. But there were like 10 people in the standby line. Uh, and then the fast pass return line was like snaking all the way through the uh, the queue, like ridiculous stuff like that. And that's not common necessarily, but it does happen. Mm-hmm. Um and even this new, uh, even the new Lightning Lane stuff looks to be much more like traditional Fast Pass, uh, even with the uh, 
individual ride, whatever, individual attraction selection one that is, uh, you know, question mark price per, uh, per ride. Like, it seems like it's going to function in roughly the same way. It's not going to be uh, a guaranteed lower weight. It's just going to be you're going to book a return time and you have to pay 4 to $24 for the privilege of booking that return time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I know, like, uh, and you brought up a good point, like uh, Six Flags is guaranteeing, hey, you're going to get a certain amount less. Um, I know Universal Orlando their wording around their express pass is you'll wait at least half as much as half of the regular standby line. So if, so my boss went there one, like several years ago and wrote Raina, Raina Kong and complained that he waited 45 minutes in the express pass lane, not realizing that the standby wait was two hours. Right. So yeah, that's about what it is out here in California too. Like I have a, I'm one of the few that got in during those couple of weeks that they sold platinum passes at Universal Hollywood, which yeah. includes unlimited. It includes single attraction express every day. Oh, that's nice. Um, it, and so when it's super busy on weekends and stuff, or like when it was super busy over the summer, like an example is, is we did Simpsons and I timed it. And like, it was like two hours in the standby queue because of its location. It always has mm-hmm. the largest weight at Hollywood for some reason. And then when we did express, we waited like 45 minutes, but I was really surprised to a lot of people in the queue, how unacceptable that was. And I'm just like, I mean, obviously I'm a local, I have a pass. I don't really care, but it's, it's interesting. I think the perception of what these systems are, especially when they have their own dedicated queue versus these sort of like Q-Bot Six Flag style systems where it's like, oh, we'll save you 40% of the wait time. Or, or I think the expectations are different. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, so like I know like Six Flags has like Q-Bot and has various other things. So it's all, they're all over the place. <laughs> it feels like they're experimenting with a bunch of different things. It's always been super weird what they do. Um, uh, but yet, so like talking about other parks, um, you know, Universal has Express Pass, which is, I can only speak the Orlando one off the top of my head because God, I do so much research for touring plans. They're run, <laughs> it runs like se- it runs roughly seventy bucks at the cheapest for one park, uh, one time each, like one attraction each day, and then it runs. I think maximum is like two hundred and fifty or two hundred and sixty dollars per person per day for both parks, unlimited, and that's like Christmas week. So the pricing's all over the place for it. But also, you're totally getting a d- different product than, I believe, uh, you're getting with Lightning Lane. Not just because, uh, you know, Lightning Lane isn't guaranteeing you less wait time, but also because you can go to Lightning Lane and you can get only, like, maybe two experiences a day, three experiences a day through Lightning mm-hmm. Lane. Like, because it's like a normal fast pass. Like, right. you, you have to book it. You, you, get in it you, get, you get in it at 8 o'clock. You book it. Your first one's at 9. You got to ride. Then you book it, oh, now it's noon. Then the next one's available is at 5 o'clock, and then now it's unavailable. Express Pass, you're guaranteed, you know, entry to every single attraction that offers it in that park, you know, at least once. That's, like, like that's the normal fa- Express Pass. So that's why it feels like a different product to me. Right. Um, and, 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 like, especially with um, other parks, like Cedar Fair Parks and... Uh, Six Flags Parks, they offer something very similar. And, and that's why I think it's a very different product. 
and why I think the $15 versus the 70 or if you go even crazier and you're and like some people are like you're going to complain about Genie Plus $15 a day you're going to go out and buy a $500 express pass for Halloween Horror Nights well Halloween Horror Nights it's going to be well but it's going to be every single day it's going to be the 36 days at every single house and you can use it once per house and every attraction as opposed right. to I mean, yeah i mean kind of a similar uh ridiculous argument would be like at knots i think what the uh all season uh fast lane add on is something stupid like $600 it's uh, $600 if you only want knots and then it's like 849 if you want all parks if you have a platinum pass and it's and that's a crazy amount of money, but at the same time, you are getting their fast lane service, which is already what, like uh, $80 a day uh, for, you know, every day of your pass, which is uh, every day of the year except Christmas, because uh, mm-hmm. they're closed on Christmas. Uh, and it, no, it, it's a fundamentally different thing. Um, and, and yeah, kind of to what you were talking about, Joe, uh, this was something Hasten and I uh, had discussed the other day. But uh, in terms of how many rides you're actually expected to be able to do, Disney has very much been, especially in Walt Disney World, they, they've, over the last few years, they've kind of had this mindset of, oh, you do two or three attractions in your day and you're good. You've got your money's worth. Uh, yeah, the seven to nine attractions and you're happy, that kind of thing, yeah. Right. And, and so it, it's going to be really interesting to see what these uh, – don't call them a touring plan. Touring plans uh, look like through <laughs> Genie, uh, because you know, is it going to? Are are they going to be like, oh yeah, you ride, uh, you should ride Test Track, you should ride Living with the Land, and you should go see O Canada, and you're good for the day. That's mm-hmm. uh, like it. it it's going to be interesting to see how robust those touring plans we, are. We heard and, we heard you like cars. Taking care of your garden and love Schitt's Creek. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, and what I really like on a positive note with this whole genie, not a touring plan thing is, you know, I'm really hoping that this system for people who don't pay and don't feel the necessary to pay, like explore some of these weirder corners of the park and like really gets people to like actually engage with them. I mean, they've tried to do this in the past with, like, forced Fast Pass, but everybody hated it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, remember Fast Pass Quick Picks? Mm-hmm. Where it was, like, you'd scan it at the end of the day, and it'd be like, here's your Quick Picks for the day. And it would be, like, Monsters, Inc., Laugh Floor, uh, you know, uh, the Tomorrowland Speedway, and the Flying Carpets of Aladdin. And, like, that would be the three that would be available to you. What I'm hoping with Genie is, is that we see more of this, like, if you're at Epcot, you know, oh, well, between... You know, seeing like the American Adventure and your return time or your uh, while you're waiting for like the line at Frozen to go down, like go into like, you know, the the Japan Museum or go see, you know, one of the, you know, one of the little like street shows or we, whatever else. I they're, hope they're, this they're, they're, they're doing a show in the American Adventure Pavilion right now. Like that. Kind right. Of, like, yeah. American Gardens. 
Right. And I, I like I personally think that, oh, if you're going to do that with people and you're like going to give them legitimate suggestions that they're going to actually use, that could be amazing for people making it feel like they had a full and awesome day. The question is, is that will guests accept that or will it be like, oh, this is just trying to stuff filler content in because I refuse to pay for lightning lane selections? Mm hmm. And, and, and like and you really and, and for something like Epcot, like you really can't fake it. Like you can't be like, well, welcome to Epcot. We have these three brand new rides. Do you want to go and see the like topiaries? And people yeah. be like, no, nah, I don't want to go see topiaries. What the hell? So <laughs> and, and that's going to be the real challenge, especially with uh, the three secondary Walt Disney World parks. Less so at Disneyland and Magic Kingdom, mm-hmm. um, where there are you or know, even California Adventure or even California Adventure, where there are actually double-digit attractions uh, in those parks. Um, You know, I I think Epcot will be at exactly 10 rides with, uh, with Ratatouille. Um, So it's like you're, there's not a ton to choose from to start with. I mean, Epcot benefits from the fact that all the attractions are on the longer side, uh, or most of them are anyway. Uh, But, you know, it's when you're trying to, fill people's days with uh, parks that already don't have enough uh, stuff in them to begin with, that's going to be the thing that uh, gets to be really tricky. But no, I think there, I think there definitely are positive aspects of, uh, of the new system. I, I think it is, I think the naming convention of it is clunky and I think it's going to be hard for a lot of people to wrap their head around, but I think replacing the largely failed My Magic Plus and FastPass Plus infrastructure at Walt Disney World with something that is much more like MaxPass is a net positive in uh, almost every way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, having some kind of uh, built-in touring plan that hopefully pushes people into, you know, experiencing things outside of the, you know, five or six big attractions that uh, everybody feels like they have to do. I think that could be uh, something really exciting. I think the big thing for me that I can't quite... uh, the, The big downside of this whole thing that I think feels really scummy to me is the doubling down on boarding groups and the virtual queue system system in mm-hmm. conjunction with this uh you know paper ride fast pass or lightning lane tier like that feels like a way to effectively uh put new attractions behind a paywall where technically they are included with your day ticket or your annual pass or whatever but you know it's such a it, it's such a chore to try to you know enter this lottery and uh, hope you win the lottery to get on this attraction and to say, well, oh, you know, you lost the lottery for today, but you can still pay $25 or whatever to ride if you really want to. Like, that feels... Imagine if they just go right from that. Imagine if they go right from that, sorry, it's full to, but... Screen. Oh, it'll, be on the like, it'll be on the same screen. I guarantee it. I would. I will eat my hat if they. Uh, if it's not on the same screen. And this is where I'm afraid that this whole touring plan concept of Genie is going to be really scummy, because mm-hmm. I'm also afraid of it's going to remind you all day. 
if you like Star Wars, you should be writing Rise of the Resistance, right? Mm -hmm. Hey, we've got a Lightning Lane selection that's available that fits in right before dinner, and it's only $75 for your family of three to, like, <laughs> to like fit that right in, right? Like, the ability for Genie, the default free service, to just entirely push you to try to upcharge, mm -hmm. like, is... You know, it feels like we're one step away from Disney Park seasons and loot boxes and, you know, battle passes because it's like that same type of mentality of I hope it really doesn't encourage this like, oh, we're just going to keep trying to get more money out of you. You know, I told mm -hmm. them that as a local, what I'm afraid of is, is every time I show up to the park, am I going to get a push notification about like, don't forget to buy Genie Plus today. Right. Like, or crowds are higher than usual. You know, if you want to experience as many attractions as possible, it's a great day to buy G Genie Plus. Or Rise mm -hmm. of the Resistance has uh, uh, distributed boarding groups for the day, but you can still ride for $25. Like, uh, we live pretty close to the resort, uh, and, you know, uh, even if we're not going to the resort, we travel past it uh, on the freeway I've, pretty regularly. Yeah, I, I've known people who live in southern L.A., and yes, you're, it's like, oh, yeah, uh, there's the Matterhorn. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it was interesting because uh, through the Disneyland app during uh, – I think they stopped a couple months ago, but uh, during the entire time they were closed and then for – a month or two after that, uh, through the Disneyland app, they would send out push notifications with their uh, uh, COVID safety information uh, whenever you got within a certain distance of the park. And passing the park on the freeway was close enough to trigger that push notification. And so I'm just envisioning a world where every time you even pass Disneyland on the five, you're getting a push notification that says, hey, mm -hmm. you can ride Rise with the Resistance for 25 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> that'd, that'd be really good, though. That'd be really funny. Um, and, and I think it's really interesting also to point out, like, as this info is coming out, and I don't know how much of this is coincidental or how much is just, you know, Delta variant, you know, scaring everyone away because, like, it has. Um I don't think Rise of the Resistance has sold out of boarding groups at Hollywood Studios in the past several days. So, like, now it's sort of like, is this a conspiracy theory or what? So it's kind of a weird thing. But, like, but also coming back to it, like, when I was in Disney World with my sister in March, um, that was our first trip we've ever done in a very, 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 very long time. Um, and her first time in the Galaxy's Edge. And... Like, I had to talk – We like, we both tried to get boarding groups. I talked her through it. She got it before I did. Um, but, like, I but like if, if we both didn't get it and it popped up saying, but for 50 bucks we can get you something at 1230, I would have been right. like, yeah, sure. 50 – yeah, that sounds great. So, like, I can – so I think there's also an interesting point of just because it's something we're, we will do doesn't mean it's ethical. Or it's something right. that should be offered. Because well, I think a lot of people get hung up on that saying, oh, you're going to do it anyways. It's like, well, yeah, but I mean, like, so are gamblers and smokers and drinkers. But that's, you know, like, yeah. But I think, I, as I've always said about Disney parks and spending and whatever else, is everyone sort of has their internal budget. And I, I don't think things stack, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we've even encountered this since Disneyland is open, right? Like, I've been several times. I bought... A two-day ticket, I bought a three-day SoCal resident ticket, right, or a California resident ticket. Like, I've been, and I've paid for parking, and I've done all that jazz, right? Mm -hmm. But if you look at my spending compared to 2019 as a pass holder, 
even over these three months where I've been six or seven times or whatever else, it's a fraction of what it normally is. Because whether you're vacationing or you're a local or whatever your consumption style is, you have an internal budget on how much you spend. Mm -hmm. And maybe getting that $50 fast pass means, you know what, we're going to skip dessert tonight at dinner Mm -hmm. because we got that. We paid for that fast pass. You know what? I I don't need to go to baseline today. Yeah, right. Exactly. And I think corn dogs. Right. I think that's a part. That's all still a part of this. And I think that when you look at what the costs of attractions are, people are going to relate those to things that additionally cost money in the park and say, oh, is, you know, it's a really long line for this thing that I like. Do I want to spend $15 or would I rather grab a beer at baseline or would Mm -hmm. I rather like and I think that that those factors are going to play into how people spend money. I don't think it's just this cumulative thing. I think the difference is for Disney is that Lightning Lane and Genie Plus and all of this is basically dang close to free money compared to giving you a product mm-hmm. that you're paying for. And I think that's an interesting point you also bring up is like a lot of problems that um, Disney's facing currently. You know, they could have just built more stuff in the yeah. early – in the like, after, like really at Walt Disney World after uh, – God, the um, the fiftieth fiftieth celebration of Disneyland. Which thank you for all the pr- presents. It was wonderful at Disney World. You, I hope you, I hope you enjoyed your uh, your golden attraction vehicles and Buzz Lightyear. Um, yes. <laughs> um, but like after that, they kind of really sat on their butts for a bit, and like they didn't see a return on investment on Everest, and they kind of went this whole different route. Of like, what happens if they kept investing? Like, what happens instead of laughing? At Universal building the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, they went ahead and built these attractions. What happens instead of sitting on their butts, you know, and and, and all that, they built that fifth park. Like, where would we be at this point? Yeah, and I, I kind of feel like we are entering another another phase of that. And, you know, I don't have any inside information. I could be totally wrong, but just based on, you know, what seems to be uh, coming down the pike, uh, like especially out here in uh, in California, we have Runaway Railway opening in Toontown in two years, which will be great. And then question mark? Maybe they after build, that. Maybe they build the Avengers E ticket eventually, right? but they pull yeah. all the concept art. They're pretending like it doesn't exist. And then you know, there's the. Uh, there's the three or four things that are currently under construction in Florida. I mean, RAT is te- technically not under construction. It's been done for months. They just haven't opened it yet. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But there, there's there's Ratatouille, there's uh, Cosmic Rewind, and there's Tron. And then is anything coming after that? I mean, I guess we'll see at Expo next year. Maybe, uh, yeah. But, like, it, it's – I'm worried that, uh, you know – and obviously – they pumped the brakes a lot uh, in response to uh, COVID, which makes which makes a certain amount of sense. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it's you, you look at uh, you, you look at Universal, and you've got on both coasts, you've got these clear milestones of like, oh, you know, Epic Universe is coming, and this is going to be this huge new thing with a ton of new attractions. And in Hollywood, you've got uh, uh, Super Nintendo World opening potentially next year. Uh, and you know, there's these big new things just over the horizon where Disney feels like they're finishing up uh, the few things they had already greenlit, and then we're maybe in for a period where everything uh, grinds to a, a halt again, mm-hmm. kind of 
like you were saying, after the 50th. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, again, we don't know all of what's being worked on or discussed, but just mm-hmm. what's available publicly at this point, it feels like we could potentially be in for another uh, dry spell. Yeah. I mean, in the California market, I've always believed that, you know, the, the rising tide raises all boats. Like, opening Galaxy's Edge, obviously, you know, that summer, Universal saw a big bump, even though, ironically, I don't think Disneyland did. Um, <laughs> um, I, I don't think they did. <laughs> I mean, they literally smashed the, if no attendance, bring back Main Street Electrical Parade, like, thing and press the button. <laughs> a button I feel like they're getting ready to smash again. Um <laughs> And then you also have, you know, so I think like when Mario opens, it's going to be a game changer for the SoCal market because I think that mm-hmm. for the first time in a long time, like Universal Hollywood is going to have this, you know, this premium destination that you can't get anywhere Potter, else. Right. Potter, Potter and a Nintendo. Right. That's totally. a killer and, combo. And, you know, to the to the point of Potter, like uh, Potter's been very successful out here, but... You know, I think Universal expected it to perform on the level it did when it first opened in Orlando out here. But, you know, by that point, it had already been open for five or six years in Orlando, where Nintendo, at least in North America, obviously, it's already open in Japan. But, you know, in terms of the domestic parks, Hollywood's getting it first. It, so could, it's open, be- it could open before Japan opens for tourism for North true. Americans. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, no one, like, th- really for... Good point. Like, I could have $10 million right now to throw on tourism, but I can't get in Japan. So, like, it, like if they open Super Nintendo World, I'm going to Hollywood. You're like, I, I don't what? care. I don't care about the Yoshi ride. I'll go see that somewhere else. You know, I'll watch the POV. <laughs> this, uh, you'll get some Goombas dropped on your head. <laughs> oh, too soon. <laughs> um, but what's funny is, is that, I mean, look at the way that just our conversation is pivoted, right? Like we're mm-hmm. talking about Disney and like how they continue to sort of sh- shuffle the deck chairs with the existing product that they have. Yes. And like Universal is on the brink of a ton of new product. And, like, I've got to say, as a lifetime Disneyland fan, and honestly, the reason why I live in Southern California is mm-hmm. because of, I like to say, I used to like to say Disneyland, but now I say theme parks because I have mm-hmm. grown my love and appreciation for all the local parks. Yeah. But it's one of those things where what's going on now, you know, 50 miles up the street is infinitely more interesting than what's going on at Disneyland. And I yeah. think that. You know, when we talk about when we talk about these new services and things like Genie Plus and whatever, and you look at the local media, you know, the local media spun Genie Plus as Disneyland's getting rid of free fast pass. Mm-hmm. Not, hey, here's a new service. We've we've seen this with all the new things. You know, when the when when Magic Key was announced, the news wasn't, oh, the annual passes that SoCalers loved are back. It was new passes require reservations. Like it feels like the I mean, so even, cal- even with Avengers Campus, like it wasn't focused on any of the new attractions or offerings. Uh, all anybody could talk about was the hundred dollar sandwich. Uh, <laughs> like it, it, it's yeah, everything. The it, it, at least, and this could just be the local media, but at least out here, everything has pivoted away from what the experience actually is to what it costs. And I don't think that's going to be beneficial to Disney in the long run or even the short run. It's a hard story to change, especially since that's always been, I mean, when like, even like, even when we knew it wasn't true, 
the joke about Disneyland costs a bunch of money and they name er- they do everything off of characters. Well, now you have Lightning Lane and Genie Plus and everything costs a bunch of money. And like they're just playing right into, into the stereotypes. They're literally that's leaning that, into them. That's that whole JPEG, like we were talking about it before. You know, remember when he famously said in that interview, like, it's not just about it's about IP because that's the minimum minimum barrier to entry. These services feel exactly like that as well. It's like, oh, we have to name it after a character or after some sort of mm-hmm. intellectual property that we have because everything Disney is intellectual property. Exactly. So um, to continue the Disneyland combo real quick. Um, so to give everyone a preview of what's coming up, not this Saturday, but next Saturday, I'm writing the next Saturday six. And I am doing the top six uh, – uh, Disney theme park specials you've probably never seen. And this includes some crazy ones, including a Canadian broadcasting special from like roughly 2005 starring, starring Colin Mockery. I'm in. <laughs> yes. That's <laughs> the number Colin Mockery. There's Colin Mockery. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. That's the number one one. It stars him and his daughter as, as, as his son. And it's incredible. And it's wild. I, it's just wait for it. It's so weird. There's Canadian singers singing about like stuff in like like in front of the Epcot fountain as they sh- as they superimpose like Colin on Mission Space, like pantomiming. <laughs> it's it's wonderful. But anyway, so one of the ones um, that I'm doing is the Howie Anderson uh, Disneyland special, uh, the Disneyland story um, from like 1990 or so. And have you guys? Uh, have you all ever seen that before? I don't think I, I don't think we have. No. Okay, so that it's a very old one, and it's it's basically a look. It's so weird because it's a look back at Disneyland, and it just just to give you an idea of where they were in 1990, they actually take music from Back to the Future in this um, <laughs> in the special, and he hey, boards. Uh, music from Back to the Future Three played in Disneyland Frontierland for the longest time, so there's pre- there's and, precedent. And, and and they played the Harry Potter music at Hollywood Studios for a very long time mm-hmm. too, even after the even after the Universal Land opened. Um, but so he boards the parlor car on the Disneyland Railroad and goes back in time. It's like a basically your usual. Here's what Disneyland is. Here's Walt talking about his has his kids, you know, eating the popcorn to like we're opening the monorail or you know that stuff. And at the end of it is the look into the future of Disneyland. And I need I need to pull this up to just tell you guys what this is because because <laughs> the list of attractions coming to Disneyland. And I would like to remind you that when this came out, um this was actually before they announced Westcott. Right. So this is pre-Westcott, to give you an idea. Yeah, um, I, I'm trying to – I'm going to give a few guesses. Uh, okay. Toontown's probably going to be on there because that was, what, 92? Uh, maybe Fantasmic, although that came together so quick that they that might have not been in the cards yet. Um, Toontown's my big guess. Okay. I know I know that if you look at that early concept art, like since basically the moment that studios opened, they were figuring out how to squeeze the great movie ride oh, right. into the Disneyland parking lot with some sort of weird underbridge back to Disneyland. I just so wanted I, that so bad. I'm going to guess that great movie ride is on that okay. list. So um, they only highlight five attractions. 
but um, there. So he basically is like, we're going to look into the future of Disneyland in 1991. The young Indiana Jones stunt show mm. and and a live Muppet show. Excellent. Um, this was something I think Jim Hill covered. Uh, like it was supposed to like involve the tr- the Disneyland train, and, like an actual theater out like on the periphery of the of the park. Probably where the uh, festival arena was. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, back um, in, in the back of Adventureland. In 1993, the Little Mermaid will swim onto the scene. Is all he hinted, but that would be the Little Mermaid dark ride, suspended concept that they've had for a while. Probably, mm-hmm. probably replacing uh, the the motorboats or whatever. Um, in 1994, this actually did come true, just in the different park. George Lucas's Alien Encounter. Right. The, oh, uh, that's right. The yeah. original one with the Art Deco. They even show the concept art, the Art Deco concept art with the f- so cool. Um, oh, that's the neat concept art that Rob remade, right? Yes. Rob Yo? Yeah, yeah exactly. So cool. So cool. Uh, 1996, everyone, possibly the greatest unbuilt attraction ever, sit down, uh, Western River Expedition. We're talking about Dick Tracy's Crime Stoppers. Oh, yes. <laughs> Actually mentioned Crime Stoppers on there. <laughs> yeah, they did. And they, and they showed like movie footage. And then in 1999, Baby Herman's Runaway, runaway Buggy Ride, quote unquote, through a whole new area in the park, Hollywood Land, and they specifically showed foot like concept art of the great movie ride in that segment. So there you go. Hasten. Hey, Hasten got, got it. it. So like it's kind of wild to see what they were planning for Disneyland before Westcott and then before Euro Disney failure and before, you know, Frank Wells died and you know, before yeah. all that happened. The, the just, sort of compounding tragedies of the the mid nineties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, it is kind of wild, and and just I just wanted to mention that, like how exciting that lineup is for a decade versus now, where it's sort of like, you know, you get something every five or six years instead of like every two years. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I, I keep bringing this up, and um, I don't know if I ever mentioned on the podcast when I was looking for colleges, I had like the Princeton Review or whatever, you know, the the giant college book, you know, like here's your top five hundred colleges in the United States, and we rank them. One of the quotes in there that stuck with me, and I love to apply it to theme parks, is is if you do if you do a tour of a college campus and there isn't construction, that should worry you because they're not investing in the product. And that's how I view amusement parks. If you don't see construction of some sort or some sort of improvements, they're not investing in the product. And like right now, Disneyland's building, you know, uh, Mickey's Mickey Mini Runaway Railway, which is going to be wonderful. Um, Disney World's got stuff going on. Universal right now is quiet until Epic Universe goes. But, like, that's kind of my thing. Like, you got to watch. You know, like, if you see construction, that's good. So Mm -hmm. that's my little tangent. So uh, another um, interesting part of – to go back to Genie Plus real quick. And this is definitely something I want to talk about because I haven't seen anyone really discuss this. Attraction wait time estimates for the future. Oh, Yes. This is so it's yeah. The concept art shows a little bar graph that yes. looks almost exactly like touring plans, which not just Joe to shill, but I think that if any locals are listening to this, the eight dollars a year that I've spent on Disneyland touring plans, I've gotten ridiculously mm-hmm. great value at, and I always keep a Florida subscription going too because 
I'm usually out there. Why not? It's great. But yeah, it's going to be very interesting yeah. to see what Disney's look like compared to touring plans. Yeah, if if I didn't get it for free with my job, I would definitely pay for every cent of the. Uh, the that's a big. That's a big perk, though. That, yeah, it is. A, like the the Universal one is one. The the Universal one's very good. We're improving it. The Walt Disney World one is wonderful, especially with the new app. It's it's unbelievable. Um, it totally saved our vacation. It's wonderful. But yeah. Um, but what's interesting is that for two facts. Um, one, the concept art didn't show like, like it, they, it was very much a Amazon graph where they're like, it's better. You see, it's like, okay, well, what's the uh, Y axis? It's like, oh, right. it just, well, it's, it's better. Like, it's like Google, it's like Google business listings, right? They're yeah, like, when yes. is it the most popular? And then it's like Monday at eight. It's like as busy as it gets, but yeah, that doesn't exactly. really tell you anything. Right, right. Uh, no, and the other interesting wrinkle to that is just going to be how accurate are the wait time estimates going to be and projections is going it, to be. Is and that going to be actual or is that posted? Right, and this is something that uh, Len brought up recently on – I can't remember the name of the podcast or else I would give it a shout-out because it was a great episode. Uh, no, not Disney Dish. The one he – Oh, Tomorrowland uh, Society? That Tomorrowland Society, yes. Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh just this idea of, you know, historically, Disney has uh, erred on the side of overestimating wait times. And that's generally mm-hmm. been seen as a positive thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like you uh, you wait in line, and if you wait less than the posted wait time, you come out ahead. Uh, but now that yeah. there is... It says an hour, uh, you wait 48 minutes, you're happier. Right, exactly. But now that there is a... Uh, you know, monetary value to quote unquote skipping the line, does that become much more uh, much more ugly? Does it become the situation where by overestimating the wait time, they are incentivizing you to pay more money uh, and, you know, potentially misleading customers? Uh, it, it opens up a whole new wrinkle that they've never had to deal with before. And if we're talking mm-hmm. about dirty moves, along with those wait times being estimated wrong, is, you know, Disney now with reservations has the has extreme flexibility when it comes to attraction capacity, how they operate them, how many vehicles they put out. Like, you know, every minute a vehicle is running, it's costing them money because mm-hmm. there's a maintenance, you know, there's a maintenance schedule mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And like what I'm concerned is, is that they use these estimates and they use these they use this system to not only make money, but also just hyper optimize operations to the point where, yeah, they used to overestimate wait times and say, well, it's 60 minutes, but it's actually like 40 or 30. But now it's like, oh, it says it's 60 minutes, but people are getting through in 40 minutes. Let's early release some of our cast members. So the rest of the night, it actually sits at 60 minutes or whatever else. Mm -hmm. Well, I, remember, I, remember, I like I, I forget David if you brought this up or someone did, but like y'all remember the like the the original um, my my Disney experience like Disney World stuff. It's like the strategic parade deployment department or something like like all these ideas oh, right. sound great until you actually do it in principle, and then you realize no, this stuff doesn't actually work in the real life. Like 
the idea of like rapidly deploying cast members where they're needed sounds great in theory until you realize that that's like a, actually like probably a two hour delay at best because you need to do the cycle, pull them. They need to go find their new pull. They need to go get the costume changed. They need to take the break and then rede- redeployed. So like, I-, I wonder if they're trying to bite off too much. They want to chew again because like I don't think these people have actually dealt with ops. I mean, and there's there's also uh, we we kind of talked around this earlier, but we didn't uh, address it head on. But you know, with the factor of boarding groups plus the uh, individual attraction uh, access or whatever selections, uh, selections. Nobody's going to remember what that's called except for Haston. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, you know, it's not going to be the same, you know, if the theory was that uh, we are filling up the entire capacity of this attraction with boarding groups, there's not any more room for people who are paying to get on. So they're going to, in order to accommodate that, they are going to have to reduce the number of free boarding groups they give out in order to accommodate people who are paying for it. So that means, you know, there is... They are literally carving out a section of that ride's hourly operating capacity and saying this is only for the people who pay for it. What I brought up with you, that creates a real – from an operations perspective, that creates this really scary thing of, hey, you've got a law – we've had a massive amount of downtime. Let's say it's like Rise of the Resistance and Mm -hmm. it's like down for three hours like it usually is, right? And it's like, oh, we've got people in boarding groups that are free and people who have paid for Lightning Lane. I could totally see, oh – we're just going to cut off boarding groups early today because we have to get to these people that paid. Mm-hmm. That's a fair point. And so it's like, it's like, oh, and I could totally imagine a dirty world where it's like, oh, in order to prioritize our lightning lane guests, you are now in a backup boarding group and may not be able to ride today. Mm-hmm. They just boot if you. you. W- if you want to ride, consider purchasing <laughs> lightning. a lightning lane. Yeah. Right. So I think that's an interesting part you brought up. Um, all this is developed in a best-case scenario where um, there's no downtime. There's no technical issues. Uh, you know, you, you know, it's developed in bright and sunny Southern California, not um, – how should I put this politely? Um, muggy, hot, and rainy Southern Florida. Uh, <laughs> uh, Central Florida. And and I mean that in all the loving ways that I love Central Florida. It's it rains a lot, so um, I I think that's a problem. Is like I don't think they can get a grip on like what that difference is between like just so like what what helps with ex- when you buy something like Express Pass or you're not doing something so hop hi- so, so hyper analyzed and so hyper like like. Like like you're just trying to optimize this stuff, is that when you're trying to do that, any little thing can set you off. Anything can set you off. So, you know, flight of passage goes down for an hour, boom. Like your whole day shot. Like what's the point? I mean, you remember the game we used to play. So, you know, they used to distribute fast passes while an attraction was down out here at Disneyland. <laughs> so if you had if you okay. had Max Pass, if mm-hmm. you had Max Pass, you could play this game where if you could time it right, 
you could book a fast pass. It would go down 10 minutes later, and then you would have one of those multiple experience Experiences passes, passes yeah. that was good right. on anything. Right, because there, yeah. there was a delay in the system between when the ride actually went down and when they would pull uh, – fast pass booking from the app and yeah. so if you if you saw that something was down you could try to snag it and get upgraded to but that was like a legitimate strategy i would play like i would book a indie fast pass oh indie's down from like the mid-afternoon and go <laughs> and, and like it was an in this internal gamble every day of like is that gonna me is that gonna mm-hmm. is that gonna convert like and you know that's that with lightning lane you're gonna have this difficulty of well now you've added this extra factor of People have paid. Mm-hmm. People have paid for this. And so if Genie has said, with your $10 Lightning Lane, you're going to be able to ride Midway Mania. Well, Midway Mania is a bad example because they've got like eight tracks in Florida now. But you're going to be able to ride like <laughs> um, Tower and, you know, right before your dining reservation at Brown Derby. And then Tower goes down and then your Lightning Lane gets delayed. Like, are they going to have recovery options for get you know yeah. i will say that was one one of the great things about fast pass or about max pass was and i personally saw this and this is anecdotal because i know a, uh, a guest relations cast member replied to me on twitter and said like we don't do that so this is anecdotal mm-hmm. but with with max pass at disneyland if you ever had like the ultimate karen go up to guest relations and go i don't know why we bought this thing it never worked we could never get on any rides it was terrible the guest relations cast member immediate reaction was well since it's a digital purchase i can just refund this to you right now and we'll remove the entitlement off your account yeah or they could they could pull up their account and see how many they actually redeemed right oh are they just ridiculously ranting and they actually did like 10 rides yeah. and so what i'm hoping is that good recovery comes around these these systems where mm-hmm. people pay mm-hmm. because if there's not good recovery or it is viewed very non-refundable People are going to be angry when I was told I was going to be able to ride Tower before dinner and Tower went down and now I've had dinner and now we're going to watch the, you know, now we're going to watch the fireworks and then we're going to go do our $30 lightning lane for Rise of the Resistance. Like we don't have the schedule to like add on that one that we did before. Like, is that going to be, is that going to have good guest recovery or not? Well, and this was a point that you brought up uh, the other day, Hasten, but in the past, uh, just giving somebody a free uh, a free multiple experience pass was kind of their go to guest recovery move. Like if you had a problem with anything, regardless of what it was, mm-hmm. here's a multiple experience pass. You get to ride anything except for Rise with the Resistance. Uh, mm-hmm. And but now that there is a monetary uh, value associated with that, are they going to be as quick to pull that lever? Hmm. Or maybe they will be more so inclined to because like, hey, now you're like, this isn't just a free thing. Here's your now us giving you this fast pass for, well, sorry, lane, fast lane, lightning lane. <laughs> you see, here we go. Right. No, that, like that's like now you're like, they, this lightning, could... so how about this lightning lane? This lightning lane for Little Mermaid is $10 right now. Um, I can really get this into your family right where this would have been. And then additionally, we can book you something on the Haunted Mansion. That would have cost eight bucks. Here you go. Let's go. Yeah, that's 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 not a bad point. They could try to, you know, say, oh, we're, we're going to give you, you know, we're, we're going to give you more than what you originally paid for 
as, uh, you know, to try to make it up to you when really it doesn't cost them anything. Yes. Like, that's, that's yes. not a bad point. Yeah. Um, so another thing that I was thinking of, and I haven't seen anyone mention this yet, I don't think, maybe someone's brought it up, but for example, um, right now in Epcot, there are two, lo- Hasten, please use your phrase, additional... Individual attraction selections. Thank you. Individual attraction selections. Um, that is for Test Track and for Ratatouille's Ratatouille-ness. Um, uh, my, my next question is when Guardians of the Galaxy opens is <laughs> we have a, we have a, a I have a cat have a, and he a, is who's, the, who's the cat Tarzan Tarzan very nice unfortunately so I don't know if I we've announced it on the podcast but we put it on the uh on the on the Twitter was that Baloo did pass away yeah or, uh, Sean's cat so now we need to adopt another podcast cat. So I think Tarzan <laughs> should be our next podcast cat. Um, very lovely. Um, yeah. Blue lo- lived a wonderful life and had some benign cancer for a while. So yeah, uh, good, good cat. Good cat. Um, so um, anyway, back to my original one I was going to bring up. So uh, Guardians of the Galaxy mi- um, Mission Breakout. Uh, re- re- okay, give me a sec. Yeah, no, that's fine. So I'll, I'll talk to David. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Guardians of the Galaxy. He'll, he'll stay me out for hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, imagine. So, you, right now you have Test Track and Rat Rat Ride, and Guardians of the Galaxy. Ble- uh, be kind, please rewind. Opens, and um, do you replace Test Track on your individual attraction selection, or do you add it with another boarding group? And that's my it, and that's my question is like, will every additional attraction now be added? So will when Tron opens, is that the third attraction at Magic Kingdom? When Mickey's Runaway Railway, when that opens in Disneyland, does that become the third or fourth attraction that opens with it? Like, does it keep happening? Is there a boot off point? I, well, I don't let's, know. Let, yeah. Let's be honest. First culture now is huge. Mm-hmm. And so I 100% see Disney saying, day one, we can make extra money off this thing by offering mm-hmm. uh, IAS, individual attraction selections. Um, and, and, banning, and, and banning websites from filming on our attractions. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. Like, first, first culture is so big, I think, especially out at Disneyland, because as I've always said, we pretend like there's like a couple hundred influencers, but I'm convinced there's like twenty thousand because anyone who runs a Easily. Facebook group, anyone who runs a mm-hmm. Facebook group that has like more than fifty people in it, has decided that they are a Disneyland influencer, right? Like I like so last time I went to Disneyland, I just I just went randomly and I went in and I I got to upgrade my pass. Um, I had like a two day park hopper, and that's when they did like the four days whatever. So I upgraded for free. I got. I grabbed a beer. I rode Mission Breakout, and I was like, are surrounded by a bunch of influencers, quote unquote, just like dirt, like in the night. That's when I was talking to you, Hasten, about where to park. So, <laughs> so I'm just like trying okay. to, but like everyone is an influencer, and everyone can like get money or stream something now, or get like TikTok famous on a ride or whatever. Right. So I think this whole like, oh, it's going to be, you know, 10 to 15 bucks when it lands is probably not going to be a problem for these same people. I mean, we've seen this the last month and a half at Disneyland when there's been no passes and certain influencers and vloggers who I won't mention 
have been going like three, four times a week just as a way to like flex, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm buying at, a day ticket. Look how I'm going. So yeah. when we talk about these, when we talk about these things being added on as like, oh, do they replace? I don't think they replace at all. I think these get added on for a certain period, for a certain mm -hmm. amount of time. Maybe it's six months. Maybe it's a year. Maybe for Disney World, it's going to end up being two to three years. Or like they, it's, they, like they it's been, yeah, or they readjust after a while. It, it right. becomes three and, I, and then becomes two after a year or so. Right. I think it all depends on sort of like demand and, and what's going on, right? Like I see nobody caring about test track after uh, Guardians, Energy, whatever opens. Like it's going to be like that side of the park. Everyone's going to funnel over to Guardians, except they won't because it'll probably have boarding groups. Mm -hmm. um, and it'll be like, you know, maybe that makes test track the next highest demanded attraction because it's going to have a standby queue so people can go to it. But, you know, it's like... I, I think they just make all these things cumulative because I think that that initial opening window is all about – it's all going to be about making money. And to me, the boarding group plus lightning lane combination seems to be the best way to get people to buy a lightning lane. Mm -hmm. David, any thoughts? No, I think that's uh, that's pretty, pretty dead on from, uh, you know, what I can see. I, I think, you know – Thinking about like Magic Kingdom, uh, where the rumored two attractions for uh, the you know upcharge one, the IAS or whatever, uh, are uh, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train and Space Mountain. When Tron opens, it doesn't seem like they would want to drop either of those off the list. Mm -hmm. Like I could see, like you know. When Cosmic Rewind opens, I could see the demand for Ratatouille having tapered off to a point where they would be okay dropping that one off and replacing it with Cosmic Rewind. But, you know, in the Magic Kingdom scenario, I don't see Disney wanting to lose the money they're making on Space Mountain Lightning Lane uh, as, uh, you know, just do a lateral move to Tron. I think they want to try to do both. Mm -hmm. And I think the big question that I still have in regards to all of this and what I can't personally wait to see play out as a fan is for years, the fan community has talked about self-regulating lines and self-regulating standby and whatever mm -hmm. else. And like yeah. now now we're going to finally get to see. I mean, we've seen it in action over the last year, but it's been covid ops and it's been not normal and whatever else. Right. We've had ridiculously distanced queues and now nobody wants to go because kids are back in school and, you know, the virus is raging and it's not a good situation. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think that once things get a little bit back to normal and mm -hmm. we see how, you know, there's a potential that no one ends up really wanting to buy a lot of lightning lane and it ends up being a really good deal on both coasts because, People are like, people are just like, yeah, I'd rather do something else than spend 10 to $15. And I don't mind waiting in an hour long yeah. line to ride Space Mountain. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, you know, one thing I've really appreciated about Disney's operations during the whole COVID time is it really seemed like from a park capacity perspective and from an operations perspective, they decided that at the worst on a sold out day, every line should be no more than an hour. Like that's what yeah. it's that's what it's sort of felt like. Yes. And it, if this new lightning lane system allows people to skip queues for money, but also still keeps that, mm -hmm. we're going to set everything so that everything's like no more than an hour 
you know, maybe a little over an hour. Like, may- right? like maybe the most popular things get up to 90 minutes, but nothing ever higher than that. I, I think at that point in time, you go, oh, this is the sort of ultimate, this is sort of the ultimate situation, right? Mm-hmm. There's hour long lines that you can skip for money. But if you're waiting in a thing to do something, an hour is not really that big of a deal for your once every, you know, year or multi-year, let's say DVC consumer, like, ah, we don't, maybe we buy it some days, maybe we don't buy it others. I, mm-hmm. I just really yeah. hope it turns into this, I just hope it turns into this flexible system like yeah. Damaro and Chapek keep talking about, yeah. and that it doesn't just turn into this, well, everybody who walks in that gate buys it, because you have to buy it if you want to go on ride. Right, and that's, I think, the big question mark from me, as a, you know, as somebody who lives in Southern California, who has had who has had and not had a Disneyland pass uh, at varying points in time. Like I'm extremely on the fence about whether I want to buy into magic key at this point. And the big question mark for me is uh, how does the, uh, the whole paid lightning lane factor affect the way that people navigate the park? Uh, Like, you know, the sort of, I feel like the the one that's going to be the proof uh, sort of the proof will be in the pudding for this one is Radiator Springs Racers because for mm. years, ever since it opened in 2012, it became sort of this entrenched ritual where every time locals would uh, show up at the park, the first thing they would do is uh, book a fast pass for racers and like yeah. fast passes would instantly sell out for that. The lines would be long all day. So does so the way I see, you know, uh, paid lightning lane going is one of two directions. Either that same ritual stays in place and people just pay money for it now. And it's impo- it's basically impossible to ride racers without either waiting 90 plus minutes or forking over $20. Or people say, you know what? This thing has been around for a decade. I don't need to pay $20 to ride it. I'm just going to wait in the standby queue. Mm-hmm. And it has a more manageable wait time, kind of like we've seen over the past few months. That's going to be, I feel like, the, the canary in the coal mine for the whole uh, experiment, at least from a West Coast perspective. Okay. This is 100% how I feel about Flight of Passage as well. Like, I think a lot of the Flight of Passage hype came around with people because it was a hard fast pass to get. And I think that inherent hard fast pass to get creates this artificial demand and this artificial success of, well, we did it. We got our 9 a.m. fast passes for you know, flight of passage three months out. It's the hardest thing to ride. Like we did it. It's great. We love it. It's so good. (laughs) Right. But now that that, oh, we have to buy these lightning lane passes at the start of the day. Like, like, I just wonder what that's going to do to people's psyche. Will people feel like they won if they paid, right? This is the Mm -hmm. whole like pay to win mentality, right? Like, is it going to feel as like, are people going to feel as satisfied if they did it themselves or if, and, and they got, they utilized the free systems and they got it, or if they just plopped down, you know, 15 bucks a person and got to write it, like, will there be the same level of satisfaction? And I think from a, from an attraction rating score, will people, you know, will people like it the same? Because now right. you're putting an actual, now it's like the old Disneyland days. You're putting an actual value of what mm-hmm. an attraction is worth like two people and maybe people who love an attraction because they got to wait in a 
30-minute line paid it if they paid $10. I mean, that was the whole thing Len was talking about with the whole, that great article about like people who wait in line longer are more satisfied with the ride. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if it's that's the Ikea effect. Cost fallacy. Yeah. Yeah. It's if the Ikea that's effect. Come, come around with the whole, with the whole people just paying to get to the, to, to, to use fast, fast mm -hmm. and get to the front of the line. Yeah. And, and I could see it playing out. I mean, it could play out the same way on both coasts. I, I foresee it playing out differently on uh, East Coast versus West Coast. Um, and, and that's not to say there are not any money is no object people who go to Disneyland. There certainly are. But like just looking at the crowd trends over the last few weeks, there's this very clear uh, pattern where the Tier 5 days are basically dead and the Tier 3 days are relatively busy. And it's a difference of like $20.00. So is that 20 so we can see $20 is already a make it or break it point for a lot of people who visit Disneyland. It's, you know, people would rather take a day off of uh work, burn a sick day, burn a vacation day, whatever, and go to Disneyland to save that extra $20 ahead versus going on a Saturday when it's more convenient but paying a little bit more money. Are those same people going to opt into $20 Genie Plus, you know, four to $24 lightning lane attractions. Like that's going to be the interesting thing. And I don't see that happening as often out here. I could maybe see it happening more in Florida with the, mm -hmm. you know, especially with uh, people who are already, you know, paying uh, way too much on, uh, you know, on property resorts uh, plus $100 you know, airfare. Right. You know, uh, twenty dollars at that point, an extra twenty dollars a day is a drop in the bucket uh, mm -hmm. in the scheme of all of that. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. So um, another. So I have a few other notes here before we wrap up our discussion, our very long discussion on Genie Plus and everything. <laughs> um, could we ever see a situation where there are multiple boarding group attractions per park? Oh yeah. I mean, we saw it with Disneyland over the. Um, over the COVID ops, when they couldn't fit people in the Indiana Jones queue, what they did is they released indie boarding groups. I really liked the way they operated that because in the morning you could get in a standby line. Mm -hmm. Then around like 9, 30, 10 o'clock, it switched over to boarding groups. That sounds and like then what in they, the yeah. Right. It sounds like what the they last, do with Hagrid. Yeah. Right. In the last hour of operations, it went back to standby. Okay. Yeah. Before that, the park closed. Exactly what they do with Hagrid. What yeah, they used to do. Now it's all standby right now. So... I think we do see multiple boarding group attractions. I think it all depends on demand mm -hmm. and what people are going to rush through and do through. I see this happening way more in Florida than I do in California. Right. Like mm -hmm. if, if Ratatouille is still commanding, uh, you know, uh, if Ratatouille is still selling out of boarding groups by the time Cosmic Rewind opens, they're not going to drop Ratatouille from boarding groups. They're going to keep rolling with that. Uh, they'll just add Cosmic Rewind on as a second one. And let's be honest, if they continue the whole boarding group thing of you can only be in one boarding group at a time, like per attraction or per, you know, per park or whatever else, like that could be a way to sell more lightning lane admissions because mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I'm going to get my guardians boarding group, but then I'm going to buy access to Ratatouille because I can't actually get into boarding group system for that because I have a current active boarding group for guardians. Oh, and that's the other mm -hmm. question you brought up the other day was, you know, Will you be able to 
pay to ride uh, Rise of the Resistance a second time, which is not something you it can do. It doesn't sound like you can. No. Okay, I didn't. Uh, so, I I, so it sounds like it's once per attraction, and when you buy Lightning Lane, you're only allowed to do it twice a day, and that's what it sounds like they're trying to cut back on cannibalizing VIP tours. Right. So that's what it sounds like. It's, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting, right? Because I've always thought that the stupidest thing about boarding groups is not the one ride per person limit, but the mm-hmm. one ride per person when there's not enough demand limit that exists, right? We see mm-hmm. this every day out here with web slingers right now. A yeah. ride that was literally designed for you to do it multiple times. Okay, ride it. Go buy your fifty dollar upgrade. Come back. Come back and ride it again. Right. Yeah. And it's like it sits open all the way up through close right now because it's been super dead. And like if you wrote it once, you can't write it again. So they've been ending the operations out here at like six thirty, seven o'clock in the evening because yeah. there's not enough demand. Yeah, I, I know that um, boarding group that the the boarding groups um, uh, for Rise in Orlando is they've they've opened it up. They've literally gone, yeah, okay, standby now. So like I could see them like I think it'd be a good thing for them to say like, hey, yeah. You know, where we have the capacity, let's do standby. Just like let people right. rewrite this thing. Who cares? And again, I think the the indie situation or the Hagrid situation is kind of the platonic ideal where it's like we let people get in line until it reaches a certain threshold and then we cut it off and mm-hmm. start boarding groups. And then if we uh, burn through all the boarding groups, then we can open it up again for standby. That's a system yeah. that seems fair and makes sense to me. Having it be, you know, the the 7 a.m. crush to everybody tries to get a boarding group all at once. Yeah. That that is the thing that really frustrates yeah. me. So and I think that we're we're still dealing with for the first time. I think for this non e tickets where it makes sense, like for web slingers, like a C or D ticket. It's just so weird to me. Like, and I made this criticism after the media event happened, where all the media was going, "Oh, we wrote it three times and it was great. Loved yeah. it every time. Saw new <laughs> things every time." And I'm like, literally, a day guest can't do that. Do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that I feel like is the one like stretch. And I could totally see Disney being like, oh, you can write it once with a boarding group and then you can buy a lightning lane and write it again. I could 100 percent see them doing that or, eventually or, or buy your here. Here you go. Here's your the web slinger. If you buy it, you get, you know, two lightning lanes with it. You know, yeah. it's, here you go. You get two lightning lanes. You know, little Johnny, little um, little Susie gets. The web slingers, mom, die, mom, mom, and dad gets right again. That's a, that's a very possible thing. So, but also to pivot on what you guys, what you said. Um, so for Hagrid, they load the queue up during uh, early park admission, and then do virtual line during busy days. So I could see a situation where Disney does their early park admission, lets everyone into Tron, for example. Cuts it off. Okay, now it's boarding group only, and the boarding groups start at seven o'clock. But you know they only start at eight o'clock or something, and that kind of situation. I could totally see that. Um, yeah. I so I have three other questions real quick for all y'all. Yeah. Um, actually, one's a statement. Two questions. Uh, my statement is like so. My sister and I went to uh, Disney World in March, as I said before. We went to Space Mountain at the Magic Kingdom. That was the shortest line all day. I don't know why they're saying like. This is like a a a, a single use attraction, like experience thing. Like we literally waited like ten minutes. Like there was so we wrote it three times. We waited no more than five minutes, and one time we literally walked right up. She pointed us to a gate. The gate opened, and we got right in the vehicle. Like yeah, 
Space Space Mountain is one that really seems to be affected by that. That's capacity seems to be affected by Fast Pass yeah. more so than a lot of attractions, and that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Is does uh, you know Paid Lightning Lane affect its hourly capacity in the same way that Fast Pass did, or does it? stay pretty easy to get on yeah that that's going to be an interesting one to watch yeah and same thing exact same thing out here i think out here racers is our example of that where like without fast pass or anything else mm-hmm. it has fairly good capacity mm-hmm. and the line never breaks i mean even at disneyland's busiest days like over the summer it never broke an hour mm-hmm. so uh my next question uh do you think they'll ever take lightning lane uh, especially the individual attraction lightning lane experiences uh, to shows. Like, could you see a situation where mm. all of a sudden you're buying the best world of color spot? Like red, what's the best one? Red? Is it? We, 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 we had that conversation a little bit and that's yeah. going to be really interesting to see is uh, right. If you know, you can buy your way to the best viewing area in, uh, in those shows, which you kind of already can with the, uh, dessert packages or whatever but this is a way like oh now we don't have to give people this and we don't have to give people a dessert box right they can just pay oh, for we, it oh I, we don't we don't have to pay cast to do that we can just give them like yeah we just need that one person scanning tickets we don't need a a server and a cedar and all that stuff i mean when they rolled out when they rolled out fast pass or no sorry it was not called fast pass because show it was not pass pass system it wasn't even show pass because that's what yeah. they call it in tokyo what did they call it they called it viewing tickets um, yeah. and when they rolled out viewing tickets for Fantasmic here, like that was a big shift. And then I realized like after that, I almost just never saw Fantasmic because it was like, oh, I'll watch it from like, you know, if I'm eating at like French market or whatever else, because yeah. I'm not showing up at eight in the morning to get a viewing ticket for Fantasmic. I could absolutely see them rolling out the same system, but just adding on some lightning lane, you know, passes that are like oh yeah no you want to you want to actually get a spot to see phantasmic tonight you know 10 bucks five Mm -hmm. bucks eight bucks i think it'll all depend on you know what the demand is and like what people are willing to pay for it and i think like the other things there'll be plenty of people who just pay for it and what i'm really curious about is that when does this start to get to when people purchase tickets either at the gate or online or whatever else because right now it seems to me that the hardest thing is creating that like max pass like i was explaining earlier max pass would sell a lot because people would just buy it at the ticket booth not really knowing what it was Mm -hmm. i do think that there is still value in that transaction happening at the gate or at the time of ticket purchase and it'll be very interesting to see like what disney does over time to try to get more people to buy these type of services that are just because you know i think we've learned you know i I run a store where, like, you can pay for your washing machines with an app, right? Mm -hmm. And the biggest difficulty, people who don't have cash on them or whatever else, is like, oh, I've got to install an app, and they're probably going to make me create an account, and then I've got to, like, load money on it, and I've got to type in a credit card number, and, like, like, it's a big, it's big user journey friction, Mm-hmm. For users to actually get to the point where they're going to want to spend money. I mean, even in a completely different category, like, you know, the difference between uh, the the interactive wands at Harry Potter, which uh, cost $60 or whatever, versus the the free uh, Play Disney Parks app for the Datapad stuff in Galaxy's Edge, people are 
way easy. People are, from my experience anyway, people are far more likely to fork over $60 on an impulse to get this hunk of plastic that uh, interacts with the uh, the wand experiences because that looks fun and exciting and people want to play into it. Like I've had people walk up to me while I'm doing the data pad stuff and be interested in what I'm doing and ask about it. And then I say, oh yeah, it's, it's part of this, uh, you know, play Disney parks app. And they're like, I don't care anymore. I have to download an app, forget it. Mm-hmm. And, and this is why I think a big thing at Disneyland that they're doing is this is a reason why all magic keys don't come with a paper card and then you have to load it into your app when you buy ah, it. So you have to actually get um, over that hump. Basically. Right. There's some, there's some like, we want that platform on your device. In Florida, this isn't a problem. Everybody installs the platform anyway because it's just – it's part of the, like, routine and what people do. And I think there's still – you're still going to see a lot of friction even in Florida of you've got to get people to open it up. You've got to explain how they get to the Genie UI. You've got to explain how to tap the, the, the buy button. Like, there's still, in general, so much friction to this. You know, you I, I use it going back to Six Flags as an example in their Flash Pass – People love those bracelets. Like they have phones. And like when we were there, it was like, oh, you can do flash pass on your phone now. And there was still a huge line for bracelets because people like that. People are afraid of using their phone. Oh, what if the battery dies? What if I lose it? Right. Oh, what if it's in like a lot in a locker and I want to book another wait time on for my thing. Right. Like but having a physical device that people use seems to be way more successful and way more popular. Mm -hmm. So my big question is, is that is there going to be a lot of friction with people buying these front of the line tickets because they have to go to the app? They have to opt in and you have to kind of be on your phone, which is a very anti vacation thing. I mean, not to call them out, but my boyfriend, you know, yells at me all the time, like for being on my phone. because It's like such a millennial thing to do. And it's like. But I'm like, no, no, I'm just looking at like wait times or deciding what we're going to do next or like maybe thinking about, you know, like looking for a last minute lunch reservation or whatever else. Like, I don't know during this whole process, especially since FastPass Plus was pre-booked and this isn't, how much people are going to be on their phone wanting to pay for these things or if you're just going to see a lot of people walk up and say, oh, yeah, it's 50 minutes. Okay, we'll just wait that. And like there's no there's no even interest in, in purchasing Lightning Lane. Okay. So I have one last question about all this, unless you all have more thoughts. Is is Genie Plus too cheap? Is this too cheap for what they're looking for and what their goal and goal being reducing the amount of FastPass being used, spreading out capacity more? Is this too cheap? I think think we'll see. I think my... Gut reaction is no. Uh, I, I think that, especially for Disneyland, uh, $20 feels like right on that threshold where it's it's not a huge amount of money, but it's a money it's an amount of money you still have to think about. Like, like I said, you know, going back to the clear difference between uh, people who will, you know, uh, move around, reorganize their schedule to visit during the week to save $20 on a tier three ticket versus a tier five ticket. Um, Mm -hmm. Where Walt Disney World, I think $15 is a little bit more in that impulse category because like you can barely get a quick service meal at the parks anymore for $15, especially if you're adding a drink or whatever. Um, 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, how those two different price points affect how people buy into it or don't. I think mm-hmm. it depends on the actual I think it depends on the actual value that people get out of it. You look at the reason why people liked Max Pass at Disneyland and it was because they liked being able to book their future fast passes on their phone. It was a great enhancement to a free service. They got a lot of value out of it. Mm-hmm. I think it all depends on how much value do people individually get out of it. And I could 100% see Florida in a situation where maybe Genie Plus at Magic Kingdom costs $25, but it's only $10 at Animal Kingdom because of the offerings. That's um, I think that I think that it's it's all dependent on it's all dependent on I think what a person is spending what they're willing to spend and I think you know what the commando you know tourists who want to spend that money what benefit they're going to get out of it and that's why I see third party services and the fan community and everything else really coming together because you know, I think the reason why MaxPass was beloved was because they did a. I, I posted about this the other day. They did a great launch. They were like, "We're adding this onto a free service. It's included with top tier annual passes." So mm-hmm. all of us who had top tier annual passes were immediate. Like, "Oh, this system's great. I'm I'm booking fast passes. I'm I'm playing with it. I'm refreshing all day. You're evangelizing. Like, it's a lot of fun, right? I'm evangelizing. Now there's no evangelization of this thing from the start because everybody has to opt in to mm-hmm. pay. And I think that. Depending on what kind of value people actually get out of it, people will say this is absolutely worth fifteen dollars, or it's not. And, I, and even for effectively the same type of service, like it, it's you know, Genie Plus and Max Pass are basically you know, with a few minor differences, they're functionally identical services. You log onto your app, you see what wait times are available, you click the one you want, you get your return time, uh, you're good to go. But the the key difference, and I think this really changes the value proposition, is MaxPass took a service that was still available for free, but sold you on a convenience factor, where it's like, oh, you could still run around the park and go to the the ticket kiosks and get your free FastPass if you wanted to, but for $15 extra, you can have the convenience of doing it all from your phone anywhere in the park. And I think that felt good to a lot of people. It's like, oh, yeah. $15 $15 for this added convenience, sign me up. Where now, it just costs $15 or $20. It's not uh, it, it's not an added convenience. It's just the price of what it is. And it doesn't include the two biggest attractions in either park. Right. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. Yeah. So uh, do you all have any other th- uh, last thoughts on, Disney, on Disney's Genie, Genie Plus, Fastlane? I mean, fast lane, lightning lane. You see, I'm doing it. Oh my god! Um, it, lightning it's, it's, lane, it's individual thing, attraction selections. It's, it's not your fault. Um, I mean, we can and have talked for hours about this, but I think uh, 90 minutes is probably good for tonight. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my only thing is, is that as I like to, you know, when these systems roll out, it's it's for me, it's the fun in seeing how do people respond to it. What does it look like? What can I get out of it personally? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like I'm I'm I, in, a, in a way, this is so much more interesting than if they just rolled out Disney Premier Access and said everything costs money. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm interested to see how it goes. All right. Uh, yeah, whether 
it's great or terrible, it'll at least be interesting. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, we're going to go on to the second half now. I imagine I probably put a really lovely musical interlude for the first time in the podcast. This little break <laughs> where we all ran and grabbed water and used the restroom and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, in typical Parkscope fashion, uh, we get guests on and they end up going to Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando for the first time. Uh, the first one was Brian McNichols talking about Aventura Hotel. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to Halloween Horror Nights. Well, I guess we got to keep you on for another half hour to talk to you about this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, Hasten and David, you're going to the Orlando Halloween Horror Nights for the first time this year, correct? Uh, it'll be my first time. Uh, okay. I think Hasten has technically been. So we used to go like okay. we used to we used to do big Florida trips in October back in the day, like back when I was on Mice okay. Chat, a name that has not been said in a million years. Um <laughs> And we used to do these big. We used to do these big. We don't trips. talk about Dreamfinders website anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, we, I, like, I went to horror nights, but it was just like part of this vacation consumption. I what I, I wasn't really into horror events then. Mm -hmm. I really wasn't into like you know maze slash house designs. Like, and then over the years, I've really grown into it. So this is kind of like my first time. I think going is like a horror. Event event fan, someone who appreciates like it. Part of right, not just like part of a vacation. Oh, mm -hmm. gotta check the gotta check the horror nights box, you know. Okay, I gotcha. So so you all been to um, the Hollywood version of Hollywood yep. horror nights? Okay, we we go to uh, most years. I would say we mm -hmm. uh, we all go to the uh, the Hollywood event. Uh, we're also big fans of uh, Not Scary Farm out here, yes, and yes. then. A few of the other smaller uh, haunts like uh, Dark Harbor at Queen Mary, mm -hmm. the, the Haunted Hayride. Lots of good stuff out here. Oh, yeah. Definitely a lot. Um, and, and a lot of it's coming to Orlando, too. Because yeah. this year we're getting Hollow Scream. And, and we're getting Hollow Scream for the first time out yeah. here. I've always – that is the one event that we've done that we used to do out in Orlando uh, a lot. And uh, if Rick is listening, he'll be happy to hear me say this. But <laughs> I love – I love – uh Tampa Bay Hollow Scream. Like we've done that event many mm -hmm. years and you know we've always done like the 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 buffet where you kick off with the fiend show and then you go through all the mazes. Mm -hmm. And I've always loved that the that, that event is a little bit more you know it's a little bit more sexy. It's a little bit less, you know, uh it's it's very different. I like that SeaWorld has their own take I, on I, the, the I Halloween think, event. I think the best way I compare Hollow Scream is that they decided to put some a scare actor in the bushes outside of the park. So, like, when people are leaving, he can just jump out and say, like, you thought it was over, basically. So, like, I think that's kind of my interpretation of the event is, like, it's just it goes another step. Like, they just take it another level. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And I, I've heard about all sorts of stuff with that event. So I, I definitely need to do Hollow Scream eventually. I'm not sure if this is the year I'm doing it. I'm leaning towards it. But it depends on reviews. It, it's a bunch of stuff. But anyways. Yeah. Um. Talking about Universal's Halloween Horror Nights, uh, 30th anniversary this year. Um, we talked a little bit about the event last podcast, but uh, to start off, like I, I guess the question I, I would pass to y'all is, uh, what are you most looking forward to 
seeing in this event. Like, it could be a house, it could be a show, it could be a scare zone, it could be a specific experience, it could be whatever. Like, what what are you most looking forward to? So, there's a couple things for me, and they're a little bit broad. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I think the, the two big things for me, I'm really interested to see, to, to do a one-to-one comparison between uh, the Hollywood event and the Orlando event, because, you know, I've done the... I think first time I did the Hollywood event was 2015 and have pretty consistently gone every year since then. Um, and, but I've never done the Orlando event, which is, mm-hmm. you know, by all accounts, much more elaborate, much more grand. Uh, you know, they they have more space to work with. Uh, so it'll be interesting yeah. to compare those, especially since there will be some direct one-to-one comparisons in terms of like, uh, Brides of Frankenstein and Beetlejuice and, you know, the, the, uh, I think, uh, Oh, uh, Hill House and Texas Chainsaw are the yes. Beetlejuice not be in Hollywood though. Oh, that's right. We don't have a Beetlejuice out here. Yeah, y'all screwed that one up. Yeah, we did. Uh, yeah, the, Poltergeist. The... <laughs> I mean, I mean, or, Poltergeist uh, is pretty good, so I'm not gonna. Well, not even Poltergeist because the Poltergeist maze was great, but we're getting uh, an Exorcist re- repeat, which you know. Oh yeah, it was for... Exorcist. I'm sorry. Yeah, not Poltergeist. Sorry. A, a for effort, but I'm hoping. Uh, they, it's not a complete repeat of what they did in, what was that, 2016 they did it the first time? I can't remember, but uh, we'll see. But no, I'm interested in comparing the Hollywood event to the Orlando event. I'm also interested to see how it compares to uh, Not Scary Farm, because I think Mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of East Coast haunt fans sort of assume that uh, Horror Nights, uh, Horror Nights to Horror Nights, you know, Orlando to Hollywood is the most direct comparison when the vibe I get from uh, Horror Nights in Orlando feels a lot more similar to what we've got going on at Knott's out here, which yeah. is the the event that has more history, the event that is bigger. Uh, you know, I don't think they started doing uh, the Hollywood event until, you know, what, like the the mid 2000s it was it's fairly recent they, they had, a, they had not, a restart like they tried it for a little right. while they had to do a restart after like a death or something yeah so like yeah it's a whole thing where you know uh scary farm has been going since i think 73 uh mm-hmm. you know and it's evolved obviously over that period of time but you know it's it's grown into this big elaborate event with you know uh uh nine or ten houses uh most years you know multiple shows uh and there's, funny enough, uh, some of the original mazes in Orlando this year f- seem like pretty uh, direct comparisons to mazes that have been at uh, Knott's over the past uh, five years or so. Like, uh, there's the Tooth Fairy maze uh, yeah. uh, at Horror Nights this year, and we had a Tooth Fairy maze mm-hmm. for a few years Uh there's the Wicked Growth Maze, which seems very similar to uh, the uh, Pumpkin Eater Maze we have out here. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how the two different events take on, you know, similar subject matter in their own respective ways. I think mm-hmm. that's the stuff that I'm really excited for. Okay. And I, I think for me, you know, capping it at two things, you know, number one is that I'm looking forward to the energy. I think that since... I'm looking forward to what the park feels like during Horror Nights. I think oh, it's that totally since, different, yeah. I think that since I've become a lot more connected to this community, thanks to you know Twitter and the various 
conversation methods that we have. I understand the love for this event a lot more than when I attended it previously and was honestly like just a kid. Like I was like 16, 17 at that yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's like I am really looking forward to like, you know, capturing like like seeing that that energy and, you know, what it's like. And I think for me, it's a lot of like, you know, um, you know, the, the, the mazes that are in the uh, in the large uh, sound stages seem really mm-hmm. interesting to me because we sort of get that out here. But we yeah. also don't we get like, you know, maybe they'll do half a one or whatever else. But this idea of having this production space that they're actually using that doesn't suffer from like the California Horror Nights problem where, you know, those are used in active productions all the time. So, you know, California kind of sets up, tears down very quickly. I'm mm-hmm. very curious about those, you know, those types of mazes and experiences. Right. And that's the other interesting wrinkle about the Hollywood event is because, you know, Universal Studios Hollywood is a very active working movie studio. Like they, the park has to rent the studio space from the studio for the event. It's very interesting in that way. So, so, so uh, does Florida too. Oh, interesting. They actually I did not and, realize that. And then also, you know, and also very interesting is that Blue Man Group rented the studio space for the theater mm. from that. And they, and they just, and that's how that works. It's just like, it's how that company works. Yeah. It's just like, you have to do that. And that's how, and that's how that worked. But, um, but yeah, you, um, that the big thing with Orlando this year was like, hey, are they going to tear down the sound stages? And they're like, well, no, we'll just pay it through the year because no one's renting and doing movie production right now. Right. So yeah, they they literally rent those stages still, just the same. But unlike Hollywood, Orlando's not like crazy with movie production. Yeah, <laughs> despite Michael Eisner's best efforts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um. So. I think one of the things – so we'll talk about a bunch of stuff, but one of the things I definitely want to bring up because it just came up tonight is that someone posted a bunch of me- – uh, some of the menus for the new Halloween Horror Nights food. So I'm gonna, I want to get some of your thoughts on this. Uh, so they uh, first of all, they have uh, – they're, they're kind of also doing like this weird thing where they're incorporating some of the food they had in um, Mardi Gras mm. uh, they had this past year. So they have arepas. So they have carnitas, uh, picadillo, and queso blanco. Um, so the, the the cornmeal cakes filled with you know a bunch of stuff. Those are r- running roughly like eight thirty to nine thirty, which is a bit high, but you know, you know it's it's the food prices. Um, yeah, it's resort expected. pricing. Yeah the um, the food truck they have um, various uh, chicken finger sandwiches. So they have a hot buffalo banh mi and barbecue one, which is you know whatever. But this is where things get interesting. Um, the one out on that bridge between Men in Black and Diagon Alley, um, it's probably the most interesting one. And it includes a graphic image of a lady with like long nails, like having a fork go into this food item. Like she's twir- like about to twirl it and pick it up. Um, there are uh, field of <laughs> the Field of Screams Goiza, which is spicy ground turkey and butternut squash filled with dumplings served with uh, citrus ponzu. And that's for $8.50. There's pumpkin guts, which is actually, this is the most interesting one. Butternut squash and zucchini noodles sautéed mm. with hazelnuts, pumpkin seeds, and brown butter. And brown butter, quote-unquote, served over roasted uh, uh, delicious squash. So I think the brown butter is, quote-unquote, because they want to make it the vegetarian option. 
Mm. So I think I've always liked the idea of making like like squash noodles. I think has always been yeah. a great idea. So that's good. There's a pumpkin uh, a dulce de leche churro, uh, which you know is what it is. And then the bog slime is their drink option. A murky green refresher with New Amsterdam gym, house made uh, matcha cardamom syrup and lime juice. Hmm. So well, that sounds good. Yeah. So like I think they're really. St- I think they found. Uh, People are willing to pay for their food options, um, especially uh, with this past Mardi Gras. And they're like, "Okay, let's let's take it up the next level." And with Horror Nights, let's let's do totally. it. Let's, let like beyond Twisted Taters, beyond Pizza Fries, let's do it. So. Well, and I think what's interesting too is that you look at Universal Strategy over the last year across all of their events, and they're subtly competing. Or may and maybe it's not subtle. You know, they're 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 like directly going, "Hey, we know you liked Disney and being a Disney pass holder and going to Disney stuff because they have interesting, unique food options." Mm-hmm. And they said they're not selling passes right now. We are come to us. We have interesting, unique, whatever food options. I'll say unique food options. A hundred percent at a Halloween event. Like I'm in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's. It's great. I love when there's stuff that's not available, you know, maybe generally not available during the day or whatever else, because it's yet another way to make that event neat. And it really sounds like like that. The gyoza sounds great. I can't wait to try it. Like there's a bunch. I really like this idea that they're moving to of, hey, we're going to do these events. We're going to do special things inside of it. I thought what they did for the Olympics out there was super smart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very clever. And this is just another way. This is another way to leverage these events for people who may not be into the horror stuff so much. Mm-hmm. I just texted over that uh, menu to David. So if you want to check your phone, oh, I, yeah. I, so, so you can see the photo of it, because it's like, like you look at it and you're like, oh God, I want that now. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it's oh, it, yeah. Like, yeah. Why? Wh- so that's the that's the pumpkin guts right there. Looks pretty good. They've done a great job, too, just on their overall menu design and everything else. It really feels like they've stepped up their presentation mm-hmm. and offerings in the last in the last few years. And and so they've already built um, – so they have the barbecue – God, the – I can't believe they're doing it. A Texas Chainsaw Massacre barbecue place. <laughs> great. They, they, it's Wonderful. The, after doing the Simpsons disgusting bar, like fast food thing, I guess the only way you can go is like it's either Texas Chainsaw Massacre – Cannibal Barbecue or Soylent Green. So right. here we go. Um, and then also you also have the uh, the Tribute Store that's going to be opening next week. Excited to see that. So Tribute Stores are are legitimately wonderful. Like they're legitimately amazing. Um, I took my sister through the Mardi Gras one. She was blown away. Like it, they, it's they such changed. a cool concept. Yeah. And they, and they have all these additional like snacks and stuff you can buy in it. But it's really – crazy because like not only do you have like unique t-shirts blah 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 whatever but they've bought these moldorama machines so you'll be able to get moldoramas and they change them throughout the season which is so so smart to me right like Mm -hmm. the whole tribute store concept i think really feels it kind of feels like it's like well what if we built a, a house or a maze depending on which side of the world you're from yeah um, we have a funny story about that, actually. Um, and it's like they decided, you know, what if we did something at that level of quality, but not scary and like kind of fun to explore mm-hmm. and just really heavily detailed and themed. And I just love it. It's such a great concept. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and and then so in addition just just to the um, uh, the Moldorama, they've also partnered with a bunch of local businesses to do stuff in there. So like this year, they have a local candle company that's been providing some like unique scents and candles, and also the same company that does the all the uh, coffee roasting for Today Cafe is like producing all these like unique coffee blends. Nice, and, and they're just selling like these fresh beans there too. So it's like. Super cool in that way where they're highlighting these small local businesses and totally. trying to get unique merchandise in in a way that's like low overhead where you're not like outsourcing it to China and like you're waiting like four months to get it in. You're like, hey, can you do like two weird blends real quick with whatever you got and then we'll just buy everything you got. And, and it's a great win-win because it provides Universal with, you know – fun, unique offerings for the park. And it also, uh, you know, gives uh, business and promotion to, you know, local businesses in the area. It's it's really mm-hmm. smart. And what I really like about it is that unlike other places up the street, they don't have this sea challenge World. of if we put, <laughs> yes, SeaWorld, if we put an item on the shelf, it has to send, to, it has to sell 12,000 of them or we're mm-hmm. not interested. Yeah, because that's always been like like, you know, talking to a couple of Imagineers who like design the Epcot collection stuff. They've always said that that's the big challenge. They want to produce really unique merch that people want to buy. But merchandising goes back to them and says, you got to sell 12,000 of these or we don't care. Mm -hmm. And what I love about, you know, Universal and partnering with these local companies and whatever else is that it's not those numbers. It doesn't have to be those numbers. It never had to be those numbers, but it's a great way to make the event unique and really enhance it. Mm-hmm. I and, and like in a weird way also like so they got dragged. Universal got dragged for like only doing like a thousand run of that that vinyl they made last year. Oh right. And like they're like, "Oh yeah, why didn't you do 10,000?" I'm like, "Oh, yeah, we just thought, you know, 1,000 was about right." So like whatever. And, like, people are just buying them in quantity. Um, and also a really cool thing is, like, in the Islands of Adventure Halloween store, they actually – looks like they're making a make-your-own-candle facility. Oh, so, like, nice. You, you, so, oh, that's like, clever. You, so, like, you can, like, pour your own stuff, get some, like, mixes in and stuff. So I think that's an interesting way to do, like, your make-your-own-t-shirt concept in a different way. So <sighs> – and what's neat about it being what's neat about it being an over in Iowa is that it's also something that you can supplement on your trip. You're not forced mm-hmm. to do all of the Halloween stuff in one park in one night. Mm-hmm. You know, that's also what I've appreciated about the tribute stores is that you know they're open all day mm-hmm. and not just you know during the event. So you have this really nice you know advantage for enjoying the event a little bit outside of its barriers. Yeah, exactly. So um, I guess the next question. Just to go on the next thing. It's like, so wh- from Orlando, what are all y'all's uh, number one house you're looking forward to seeing in Orlando? That's a good question. Because um, I, I, I think it's interesting to ask because, first of all, you don't necessarily have the same relationship to the originals like we do. Like whether it be the Icons or Scary Ohio or various things like that. Um but also, like, is it going to be stuff you could see in Hollywood or not? So, yeah. Yeah, I think I think kind of academically, I'm interested in uh, the Icons house and the Scary Ohio house. Because uh, it's like, I'm, <laughs> you know, being kind of from the outside looking in, it's like, oh, I want to see what all this is about. Um, I think the ones that, like, 
like I'm actually like really excited for definitely excited to see uh to see Beetlejuice um uh definitely excited uh again to see like it, it, it's such a weird reason why I'm excited for it but like the Tooth Fairy House in particular just because I'm so curious uh given the fact that we had a Tooth Fairy maze at uh, Knott's for a number mm-hmm. of years, like just seeing, you know, how <clears throat> two completely different creative teams tackle sort of the same core idea. Really excited about that, um, you know, and kind of like I was talking about earlier, some of the ones that are direct uh, one-to-one, like the Texas Chainsaw House or the Haunting of Hill House uh, should be, should be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's definitely that it's definitely like I'm interested in. I'm weirdly interested in the legacy of Horror Nights out there after not experiencing it, mm-hmm. because the love for the legacy of Horror Nights out there reminds me so much of the love of the legacy for Knots out here. And I've always thought it's interesting how it really feels to me like the Orlando Horror Nights event is basically a combination of a tourist event with IP for tourists and a locals event kind of mm-hmm. rolled into one. Yeah. And uh, I'm really excited to like, you know, to, to, to see, you know, the icons and kind of do that whole thing where it's like, oh, what did I see? What kind of, you know, what kind of Easter eggs did I miss? Like, how can I catch myself up on 30 years of not really consuming this thing <laughs> at a deep level? Right. And I think this is why nostalgia is just so appealing right now is because, you know, we have the resources to enjoy nostalgia, even if we didn't experience it. So I'm really excited about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, follow-up question to that. Uh, scare zones. Any partic- particular interest in any of them or anything that pops out? Because I, I don't think none of y'all really know or have experienced Orlando scare zones. So I don't yeah. know if you know what you're getting into, but like what's sticking out to you right now? Uh, I, I guess sort of broadly, like I'm interested to see how Orlando does scare zones because obviously uh, Knotts and uh, Universal out here both have scare zones, but they're very different animals uh, between the two of them. Uh, like, uh, you know, the because Universal uh, Hollywood has less space to work with and uh, the park is sort of laid out in an e- in an unusual way where it's built on the side of a mountain uh, mm-hmm. and half of it is a movie studio. Like they're, they're more restricted in what they can do where Knott's has a little bit more freedom to uh, tailor the space to, you know, be, do interesting things with the scare zones. Uh, whereas, you know, sometimes what uh, Universal's done out here that have been really clever is they have had, scare zones that are almost sort of like miniature mazes in their own way. Uh, you know, they're, they're all outdoors. They're not interior, but they, you, it, it's not just an open space that you walk through with monsters and fog and whatever else it, it's, uh, you know, designed in a way where you're moving through it, like a maze or a house or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how, uh, Orlando does their own, take on scare zones versus the other two out here. Okay. Yeah. I think for me, it's just, you know, uh, like I'm not a big scare zones kind of guy. 
as a whole. Like, I just never really have been. But I'm interested to see what the offerings are this year. The Crypt TV one seems like they could do really interesting things with the characters, which is what I'm really curious about. Yeah. But we'll see. I, I mean, the Crypt TV thing, like, obviously there's uh, some financial stake in it with uh, Jason Bloom and uh, Eli Roth and whatever else. But, like, I don't know how much uh, exposure you have to the Crypt TV stuff out there, but like in the queue for the terror tram, the last few years, they would just play uh, clips from those Crypt TV shorts and none of them are kind of any good. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Uh, Got you. But the character design is very interesting. Eh, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there's, you know, what is the quality of the actual shorts does not necessarily have any bearing on the quality of the scare zone. So, uh, It'll be interesting to see. If they're not good, I'll just eat food inside of them. All this delicious new food. That's true. I mean, last year's possible best scare zone was, like, the Rob Zombie one. So, like, I mean, <laughs> like, if you get really creative and interested in things, things totally. happen. I think the big thing with scare zones, especially in Orlando, is um, they're a great place to vibe in and hang out and grab a bench and watch. Yeah. I mean, and, that's, yeah. that's one of my favorite things about uh, – because I think Universal did in 2019, you know, the last year they did Horror Nights uh, before the world shut down. Uh, they did offer, I don't think it was called a Frequent Fear Pass, but it was, you know, an equivalent to that where you could uh, in Hollywood, come and visit multiple. In Hollywood, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, it was the first time they had offered that, at least since I had been going, where Knott's has been offering a Haunt Pass for, I think, 20. 16 2017 maybe was the first year they offered that uh and i just love that to pieces i love mm-hmm. being able to uh come into the park uh during haunt uh grab a bench and just watch monsters scare people it's wonderful one of my favorite my, things to do my big suggestion would be i think you may really like the lights camera action in hollywood mm. because it's all the old scare zones so, like, you got stuff from Islands of Adventure days. You got stuff from Universal Studios Florida. Oh, nice. And then it's all tied in with this long-lost icon, Eddie, because he was designed for the 2001 season. And then they... Oh, and then, and then, right, right, right. And then that, they're like, oh, we should probably change some stuff and get rid of all this blood and guns. Yeah, pump the brakes, <laughs> pump the brakes, pump the brakes. Yeah, exactly. So, um... Uh, so that's that going to be that scare zone. But the, there's a ton that's of fun. there's a ton of benches you literally cannot remove in Hollywood, and you can <laughs> just sit down and just watch the scare actors move around. And that's always that's been great. the yeah. that's, that's been the place for years and years just to hang out. Um, that wouldn't be really good. Um, thirty is always like thirty years, thirty fears has always been the um, that's right next between Shrek and Minions. Um, that one's always been kind of like the intro scare zone. So it's pretty small, but it's like a vibe setter. Like, so you're yeah. entering the event. This is get. This is what's what's going to be. Um, that's where that uh, neon arcade scare zone was last year. If you saw any videos of that, mm. um, the one in New York is Seek and Destroy. That one's like a overseer kind of concept, where like they're turning humans into fuel. Best way to put it. Hmm. So that could be another really good. Sit on a bench, watch people, watch shows. There may be some shows in that one. Um, then we already mentioned um, Crypt TV, which it will probably be really good with monsters, at least. Yeah, hopefully. Really 
hopefully at least some good really monster designs. And then the other one is um, Gorewood Forests, which is in the uh, Central Park area, like right around between Simpsons and Hollywood, that nice shaded area. So it's like yeah. it's like a nice forest, and um, I, I, that's always a good one, but there's nowhere to sit. You have to walk through it. So that's more yeah. like definitely a walk through it and enjoy it thing instead of like a chill and enjoy. Um, definitely the Hollywood one's the best one to chill in and just have nice. a good time. So that's my suggestion on that. I'm hoping we get some time to chill this year. I mean, we bought Express, yeah. so you will have plenty. Of t- you'll have plenty of time. To- are you are you going to be in the park that day? Probably, Almost certainly. Probably. So okay. what we're actually doing is, so we're going out as a big group. Yeah. There's like what, eight of us going. Something like something that. Like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody said, and mind you, we all met because of my chat and Disneyland pretty much. And everybody said, screw Disney. So we're all buying universal passes. <laughs> and, okay. Yeah. Um, we're just going to enjoy universal throughout the day. I mean, we want to do, uh, you know, obviously we want to do Velocicoaster because mm-hmm. most of us haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. And we're just looking forward to, you know, vibing and enjoying a few days yeah. of Universal and the Halloween events. We already have our tickets for the two Hollow Scream. Uh, we mm-hmm. got Stream and Scream tickets. Like, it's okay. it's just going to be a super fun so, Halloween week. Okay, so you know about Stay and Scream then in Universal Studios Florida? As long as you're uh, – do you have to be in the park already or can you use the – like, how does it work? So what you need to do is be in the park by 5 o'clock. Um, the Got park it. closes at five, so I'd recommend being in the park at least by four thirty. Totally. Um, at that point, just move, make your way towards the stay and scream area. My under- so previously they've had multiple stay and screams. My understanding, due to staffing this year, they may just do the Simpsons one and load up like the waterfront where they would show the Lagoon Show and Simpsons with everyone who wants to do it and just release them. So that's what I'm hearing, but who knows? Um, I, I would watch and see what happens like the second and third weekends. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because things change like very quickly. Like, so watch the weekend before you go and see what happens. And then it could still change the weekend you go. Like all of a sudden you'll be like the first weekend they're offering New York, for example. Right. <laughs> yeah. So um, do stay and scream. Just be there. You can easily knock out a bunch of houses before the park even opens officially. Like you don't knock out like two or three houses. You're done. Yeah. And and without express. So like you can come back. To right. Yeah. No, we're, we're yeah. definitely looking forward to like doing some early and then coming back in the evening. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's how it's always been out here in Hollywood as well, where if you, you know, if you come for early entry and you, you know, you have a, a plan of attack and you know what you're doing, like you can get, uh, two or three or sometimes even four mazes done with relatively short waits before the 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 hordes descend upon the park. Yeah. Um so that that's my suggestion. Um so that's stain scream. Um do you have any other questions for me about the event, I guess, is the best way to put it. I th- I think that's now my point where I'm just opening the floor to general questions. <laughs> What do you think time-wise is required to do, like, all the mazes with Express? How long do you think that, that takes? With Express, um, are you what what day are you going in October? Is it, like, a Saturday? We're going... It's a Thursday, right? On... Uh, we're going on the 6th. Oh, it's a Wednesday. Wednesday? You should be really good. 
Wednesdays are usually a very good day because no one wants to take off on a Thursday. <laughs> so usually um, uh, Wednesdays are pretty good. Um, you'll probably find very, you'll be very, very good um, at the beginning of the event. It'll peak a little bit and then it'll dip real quick. So yeah. you should be fine. Um, cool. Yeah. So yeah, it sounds really great. Good. Yeah, so you'll be really good with uh, uh, attendance and stuff like that. Just, just, I guess my question, just in terms of crowd flow, um, what, like, in uh, in Hollywood, for example, like, the strategy is always uh, go to the lower lot first because it's such an ordeal to get down to the mm-hmm. lower lot that it, you know, people tend to do the mazes on the upper lot first and then before they even uh, make the effort to go through the starway and whatever. So you can usually get those ones done pretty quickly. What's kind of the general crowd flow for the event in Orlando? In general, even though Stay and Scream is like really big and like looks like there's a million people there, um, they process them real quick. Mm-hmm. So the back, so the back five, so basically the houses in Kid Zone next to Men in Black, in between Men in Black and um, Fear Factor Live Theater, those usually are very quiet. Um, the first about hour of the event, good and to then, know. And then everyone just walks in. They walk through Production Central that thirty fears, and they walk right to the sound stages. <laughs> yeah. So you're gonna see. Brides get real high. You'll see Texas Chainsaw Massacre get real high. Um, you'll see all those houses get real high. Another tip is that the Legendary Truth House in The Simpsons is usually one of the last ones to open. Mm. Um, Interesting. It, it may even open. It's, I've seen that house open with previous houses after the events opened, like sometimes up to 15 minutes afterwards. Mm. So just keep that in mind that like if you want to see it or do that, just like do it like after seven o'clock. <laughs> is my yeah. my suggestion because most of the time if you're trying to rope, rope drop that house, you're gonna wait way too long. Don't even bother. Just like it'll open. It'll be one of the last ones to open. This is like a, such a weird area. Good to know. Yeah, great yeah. to know. Yeah. So that's definitely one of them. Um, so the weird thing this year is the shows are so weird and different. I'm not sure what to tell you because. No one really knows what the Fear Factor live show is this year. Yeah. Um, we've heard like 20 different things, so we're not sure. I, I would suggest doing it. Um, last year, uh, last year's, last full year's Lagoon show was incredible. It was it was about 12 minutes long. It was everything, and then it got out, and it was super done, and it was worth every minute of it, I think. So I highly recommend the Lagoon show, but it depends on how it is. Um, yeah. Oh, well, and that's that's another thing we, we didn't really touch on that I yeah. am really excited for is what uh, Universal does with shows out there because uh, the Hollywood event has at least you know in the time that I've been going because I think uh, uh, Bill and Ted got super canceled the the like the first year before I started going to the event as um, it should have been yeah yeah uh, <laughs> and then uh, for the last several years they've done that uh jabberwockies dance show which was which was okay but was never a not super my thing and b kind of similar every year so we we tended to start uh skipping it after a while they're back this year they're back this year um but knots has traditionally been the much bigger 
event in terms of shows out here. So I'm really interested to see what Universal does with shows out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think the big question is the stage show, because um, I have legitimately no idea what's going on there. Um, but the Lagoon show is definitely something I suggest hitting up. Usually Absolutely. Has a, it's usually, I mean, unlike World of Color, it's something you probably roll up to like five minutes beforehand and be fine. Um, Excellent. It's about 12, it's like 10 to 12 minutes long. Perfect. It's usually It's usually very, very succinct. It's got the idea. What, like, it doesn't overstay its welcome, which is definitely... More 15-minute shows, please. Exactly. Like, yes. we, like, we don't need to, like, make... Yes, exactly. You e- get the everything idea. does not need to be a half-hour extravaganza. Yeah. So, that's definitely what that is. Um, so, for... I think for houses, you should definitely check out. So, icons, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think you should definitely check that out. Um... Scary is something I definitely think you should check out. And I think Wicked Growth, which is the tent house with the pumpkins. Yeah. I think that one, if it's what I think they're going for, is like the 27, is like the Hollywood Horror Nights 27 Scarecrow House. Hmm. And that's one of the best haunted houses I've ever been through in my life in terms of just like terror and craziness. So. I mean, I yeah. think our ambition is to try to hit all of them, but we'll see how successful we are. Oh, I think we'll be successful. Yeah. I think you'll hit all I'm of them. Fine. I think you can do all the shows. I think you can chill. Um, you may need a bail. Because I think the biggest question mark this year is going to be food lines because they're still trying to hire people and all right. the staffing issues. So I would suggest maybe booking something at like, I don't know. Eight o'clock, nine o'clock at like NBC Grill Brew to grab That's like not a, a bad idea. Yeah, to grab like a, a like you know like hey we're here, uh, can we get the pretzel and some beers and just like not be in, boom, 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 you know music thing. <laughs> so like you're just like okay we're just gonna be somewhere else for a little while or like oh, a, that's a good idea like between yeah. doing maybe some of the like uh, some of the soundstage mages and whatever schedules some time to like peel off and get some yeah. food and stuff. I like that yeah. idea. Yeah, you go to NBC Girl Brew, go to Hard Rock, go somewhere like this right next to the park, and just like chill, relax, maybe big fire. <laughs> yes, which you can't get in Hollywood. Because Big Fire is wonderful. Not yet. Every time they have me fill out a survey, though, they're like, what would you like to see in in, uh, Hollywood? And I'm like, you have the old Brazilian steakhouse just sitting there empty that you used to operate. That should be the Big Fire. Or uh, Carl Strauss. Like, there's multiple (laughs) empty empty spots. Let's get a Big Fire. Big Fire is wonderful. Legitimately, it's one of my favorite restaurants. Like, I took my sister there, and she's like, this is amazing. And, like, we went to all these awesome Disney restaurants, and she's still like, this place is great. This is wonderful. Yeah. I just love – I just – I mean, this is a sidebar, but I just love the universal run concepts. Like, Mm -hmm. they all have fairly good food. They all have a fairly wide and diverse menu. And I mean, even our limited versions that we got out here, like a grill brew and uh, Antihitos. Antihitos and stuff like that. Vivo, they're Vivo yeah. Vivo's wonderful. Yeah. Oh my god, you guys need to get a cow. You guys need to get a cowfish out there. That's the other one we don't. Have. Yeah, that's yeah. the other one we do not have. Yeah, cowfish is good. Yeah, just book one of those. Chill for like an hour, hour and a half. Then go back in. That's my suggestion. But yeah, yeah 
I, I think it's uh, I I've always uh, I'm a pro of the of, the, of that mo- maneuver. Um, but yeah, I'm just I'm just super excited to see y'all go and just experience this this weird thing that we have in Orlando. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the one of these years we got to get you out here to do uh to do knots. Absolutely. Yeah. I need to get I need to get out to knots. I need to get out for Mario Kart. There's a bunch of stuff I need to do, so definitely, definitely. But I don't want to end it quite yet. Do you have any last questions for Halloween Horror Nights? I think Orlando? we're good. We're excited. Yeah, very excited. You're very Six excited. Six weeks. Six weeks. Awesome. Um yeah, you're gonna have fun. Just, just, uh, and also the last thing is also just like spoil yourself a little bit with like the things you don't know to see if you want to do it or not. Like maybe the Halloween fuel nightmare thingy show or whatever. Maybe it's terrible. I don't know. No one knows what it is. So <laughs> just like kind of like maybe get a quick glance or read a review or something. So that's my yeah. suggestion because I have, I have no idea what it'll be. So. Oh, anyways, so I'm, I'm sure there yeah. will be plenty of good information on touring plans, plugging your yeah, uh, yes, exactly, and, thank and you, and also future Parkscope podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I'm planning on doing a full write up after opening weekend for everything on touring plans. So definitely going to be doing that. But anyways, after this lovely, God, was it two and two hours and twenty minutes of discussion. <laughs> I don't want to keep you all any longer. So, um, uh, Hasten, where can people find you online at? Uh, so I have like a real life and a real job and I'm, I don't consider myself an influencer or okay. like anything, but people can find me, people can find me on Twitter at Hasten, H-A-S-T-I-N. Meanwhile, I super consider myself an influencer. Uh, I, I'm all over TikTok, all over the gram. <laughs> You're I'm you're just flossing not. right now as we're doing this. Like, oh just... yeah, I mean, nobody can see this because this is an audio medium. But I'm doing all the Fortnite dances, <laughs> just all uh, of them, just all of them. Uh, no, I am mostly on Twitter, uh, tenuously on a couple other things, but don't bother to look for me there. Uh, on Twitter, I am at David M Doubt. Uh, Doubt is spelled D A U T. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you for uh, joining me tonight on this craziness that was this episode. Uh, definitely one of my favorite episodes I've done in a while. A um, lot of information. I felt like we had a gr- really good time. And man, yeah. it's, just, it, it's good just talking to people who are like, hey, how does things work? I don't know. Let's find out. So, totally. yeah. And what's great about talking it in a format like this is that it's not the, you know, hostile, short, giant company defending format that is twitter.com that's true so this yeah, is great exactly um you can find me at parkscope and, joe oh sorry david hopefully hopefully we did not any say anything tonight that will disqualify us from jeopardy host in 10 years time yeah exactly yes um <laughs> also like if it, you know what i'm just gonna say it up here if disney's listening and they want to win us over you know hey uh, I'm super cool with uh, taking bribes in, in the course of uh, Star Wars uh, Halcyon um, reservations. I'm I'm totally cool with that. No oh, problem. None, none of us. Hey, if if Disney wants to cut me a paycheck, I will be happy to show. There's a whole podcast we could record about either sh- of shilling for their interactive stuff. <laughs> yeah, so. Exactly. Totally do Get that. At me. Yeah. So you can find me at Parkscope Joe. You can find all of our fun stuff at Parkscope.net. Uh, we got a bunch of cool stuff. 
I've started like a new short form podcast thing. Did you did you listen to that today, anyone? A little kinda, bit, kinda maybe. Chat, but it's uh, it's on my on my list. I think yeah. I've got uh, an episode of Ether Sea in front of you. But yes. after after that, uh, you're up next. I've heard this new Ether Sea episode has a joke in it. That at least one. It's well, at least one. <laughs> I saw the spoiler for a name of something, and that's all I'll say. Good to know. I'll keep an ear out for it. And then when you know it, you need to text because I'm still catching up with Ether C. Because um, graduation was not very good. I'm sorry, Travis, but just, yeah, it is what it is. Also, did you see uh, Justin? We've reached out to a uh, podcast, The Ride. I did see that. Yeah, just remember where you started out, baby. <laughs> um, anyways, you can follow us at uh, Parkscope on Twitter, also, and all that fun stuff. So. On behalf of Haston, David, everyone in the extended Parkscope universe, including Justin McElroy, I guess. I don't know. I, I probably should not take credit for him at all. That's that's terrible. Yeah, that's Prominent guest bad. star, uh, Justin McElroy. Yeah, exactly. Juice. On behalf of Juice, uh, Kungaloosh, everyone. And, uh, Kungaloosh. Kungaloosh. Yeah, Kungaloosh. And we'll talk to you on the next episode.